My name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories, and I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. It was my first picture as a director, and you know something? I sort of enjoyed it. I just wanted someone to do Stephen King right. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. Spend some time in the dark. I'm gonna scare the hell out of you, and that's a promise. Maximum Terror. Jesus coming and he is. Maximum King. Maybe tomorrow will be our world again. Dino De Laurentiis presents Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. Hey everybody, and welcome to a really special edition of The Pod and the Pendulum. I'm one of your co-hosts, Mike Snoonian, and we are doing something a little bit different and hopefully something you guys will find really special tonight. A little while back, we had this idea with everyone kind of being cooped up right now with the shelter in place and everyone kind of going out of their mind um, to maybe do some fun ideas like some table readings overall. And originally I thought... What if we take some like horror movie scripts from movies we really know and love, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, films like that, and kind of got a bunch of people together to go on Skype and kind of record us uh, reading it while maybe imbibing in some beverages and other stuff overall and seeing what would come of it. Um, but that evolved. We actually had a bunch of people reach out and say they would love to do that, which I was really psyched about. And a couple of the people that stepped up, like Mike Vanderbilt and Nat Bremar, said, what if we actually do some scripts of horror movies that were never actually produced? Which I thought was a brilliant idea and far better than what I thought of. Uh, and our co-host, Jerry Smith, actually had a copy of Maximum King on PDF, the um, true but not quite true, based on true, the myth or the reality is probably bigger than the myth ever was, making of the disastrous... Uh, Stephen King directed Maximum Overdrive. So this script was written by Shay Hatton, who actually has gone on to pen the script for Ballerina, which is going to be the upcoming John Wick spinoff. Uh, this script, Maximum King, made The Blacklist, which is a list of unproduced scripts, or the top of the unproduced scripts, movies that haven't been made yet, that are just kind of itching to get something done with. This movie will never get made, which is unfortunate, and I think the closest you're ever going to come to seeing this come to life is what we're going to bring to you here tonight. Um, so I want to reach, I want to say a really quick thanks to everyone who took part in this, and I'm just doing this off the top of my head, so if I miss anyone, I'm really sorry. Uh, of course, Jerry, of course, uh, Nat Bremar, um, Mike Vanderbilt, Izzy Lee, uh, Grace, um, our own Veronica and Brian Kuyper from The Pod and The Pendulum, Jacob, David, uh, Jacob Davidson of iHorror.net, um, Johnny Donaldson from, excuse me, Oh, crap, now I'm drawing a blank. He is from, it's a really good site, Cinema Grindhouse. No, Daily Grindhouse. Um, yeah, I am forgetting people now, so I should probably be quiet. And I am going to excuse myself and let you guys enjoy our table reading of Maximum King. And if you guys like this, we would be happy to do uh, more of these. We really hope you enjoy it. Actually, one more thing before I forget 
If you enjoy this, if you can spare a few bucks, uh, there's a link in our show notes here for a GoFundMe for the Rock Island Public House Tactical Defense Fund. Uh, Rock Island Public House is a draft house or a beer garden in Chicago. Uh, Mike Vanderbilt, one of our uh, our key narrator here, is the man behind the stick most nights. As you know, a lot of wait staff, a lot of servers, a lot of bartenders are out of work right now, uh, or you know, doing working just like. Um, you know, pickup shifts or delivery shifts, something where their, their livelihood is really, really at stake and they're really hurting right now. So, we're, you know, we've kicked into this. We're hoping other people will as well. Uh, they have a goal of about nine grand and they are a little bit over two thirds of the way there. So, you know, if you're fortunate enough to be in a position where you can kick in a dollar or two or more than that, you know, anything and kick in, you know, kick in a hundred bucks if you can. Please think of donating. The links to that will be right in our show notes, but you can also do GoFundMe.com and look up Rock Island Public House, uh, and that should take you right there. All right, enough of me blathering on. We hope you guys really enjoy this, and if you do, we will bring you more script readings like this for your entertainment during the shelter-in-place. So everybody, go wash your hands and stay the fuck home right now. We do a quick introduction, and if you have anything you want to plug, now would be the time to plug it. I'll start. Uh, I'm Mike Snoonian, host of the Pod and the Pendulum Podcast. Uh, okay, I'll go next. I, I'm Jerry Smith. I'm also a host of the Pod and the Pendulum Podcast. Uh, I, I don't really have anything to plug. Oh, actually, actually, a new album, I, dude. Yes, yes. I, I released a I released a new album last night. So if you'd like to check it out, uh, it's on Twitter. I don't want to tell the link. Oh no, I'm Brian Kuiper. Um, I write for a couple of places that you might have heard of, or not. I don't care. Jesus, people. Talk wow. to <laughs> I don't want to look uh, at anyone's Tinder profile. Brian, <laughs> Brian, Brian writes for Dread Central. He writes for Ghastly Grin, and he writes for other places. So there, I did your work. Comes on the pod and Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah uh, read Brian's stuff. It's good. Thank you. Thank you. Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, my name is Jacob Davison. Uh, I write for uh, Parcast on Spotify, and um, yeah, just in general, I'm a horror writer. There you go. Good, good stuff. I'll go next. Um, I'm Johnny Donaldson. I write for Daily Grindhouse. That's how I know the Malort loving Jagoff from Chicago over there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I also have a movie I produced and acted in called Killing Brook, available through Wild Eye Releasing on Amazon, Best Buy, Barnes & Noble, whatever website you want to go to, as well as a romantic comedy I'm in called Most Likely that's available to stream on Prime. Oh, yeah. yeah. Stream the movie right now, folks. Do not go to your local store to buy it right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> like you right can now. stream it. So yeah. I'm Mike Vanderbilt. Nobody's really sure what I do around here. Very good. <laughs> Malort. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Why not? Malort. Hey, I'm Izzy Lee, and I am a filmmaker. You can find me online at nilenoctum.com. And you'd be seeing my films on the circuit, but we live in a global pandemic, and uh, no one's ever sure sure what's going to happen now. So, hooray. Hooray. There is no circuit anymore. No, I know. Only our hellhole apartments and all There's only Zool. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think that leaves just our other two actresses. Okay, I guess I'll go next. I'm uh, Grace Soborowski. You can find me at Instagram at uh, Grace in Translation 79. Um, I take photos of food and art. So, yay. And I call it quit. Hey, what's up? I'm Veronica Meatland. I've been on the pod The Pendulum a couple of times. I uh, don't really do much else. I'm a librarian. So if you need to know something, come at me and I got you. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So for anyone who's great. listening, we're now going to start reading Maximum Change. One, one second, though. Oh. One second. One second. I want to hear about Nat's book really quick for anyone listening. Yes, I forgot. Yes. Hey. Um, which one? Uh, oh. the, the Julie one, man. Okay, Son yeah. Uh, I dropped uh, a free ebook last week because uh, we live in a global pandemic and nobody has money anymore. So I put together a short story collection of a character I've been writing a long, long time that I never had the opportunity, really, and all the other things I published to get out in the open. So I dropped that. And if you go to my Twitter at Nat Bremer, uh, the link to download the book is to pin tweet. And I'm also the author of the uh, upcoming Complete History of Puppet Master, and I have no idea when that's coming out. <laughs> Congrats. Beautiful. Nice. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Jerry, you picked the script. you want to give the intro to it? Sure. Uh, I came across the script a couple years ago because it was on the blacklist. Uh, you know, the, the list that comes out every year of the best unpublished or unproduced scripts. Uh, this one will never be made. I can guarantee you that. Uh, it's <laughs> funny. It's, it's kind of a very dramatic, uh, kind of fictional telling of the making of Maximum Overdrive. Uh, it's larger than life. It's fucking insane. So, there we go. Beautiful. All right. We ready to go? I'm ready. Yep. Ready. <laughs> Let's do it. Interior bathroom day. Close on a line of cocaine. A crazy long line of cocaine. Long enough to kill a man, to kill an elephant. A nose descends into frame. A rolled up $100 bill. The cocaine disappears inside this guy. We still don't see his face from behind. This dude jumps up and down three times, pumps a fist in the air, and sprints out of the bathroom. 1985. (laughs) Interior office. Minutes later. Extreme close-up on the face of a big, lanky, slightly puffy-faced dude. An unflattering bowl haircut that you can't look away from. Obnoxiously wide 1980s glasses. The kind of glasses your dad is always wearing in old photographs. Brimming with all nerves and an energy. This has to be the guy who did all that cocaine. It also happens to be the preeminent Stephen King. Looking straight down the barrel of the camera, he opens his mouth. Everything he says spills out in a slightly nasal voice at the speed you would expect from, from the prior Coke intake. Okay, okay, so get this. How do you follow it up, right? That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. You get an idea about a haunted hotel, and then bam, you write it, million dollars. Movie deal, movie with shit, who cares? What's next? Nope, nope. What's before that? Girl to prom, blood everywhere, bam. And as I hit, they keep coming, they keep coming. Vampires, bam, million. The stand, the fucking stand. Are you kidding? Got 300 pages of that thing still sitting in the drawer. Hasn't even seen the light of day. Little girl, fucking bam, sing, boom, blowing shit up with her mind. With her mind. What's next? Uh, after that, the dog, right? Wrote the one about the dog. Oh, people like that. People fucking love that. It's insidious. It speaks to the minds of people's, uh, uh, what, uh, right. Uh, that's what I'm saying is we got a car, not a normal car. It's fucking killing people. It's all over here. It's over there. Little kid's cat comes back to life. No, that's not enough, is it? He comes back to life. You remember that one, Dan? You remember the reviews? Critics went so on board with that one. They called me twisted. Well, maybe I am. Ha, ha, ha. And don't even get me started about uh, uh, you know, the one with the gunslinger. 
Oh, there's a sequel to that coming down the pipes. Maybe two, maybe seven. You're not going to believe where that shit's going to go. Uh, here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, a decade ago, I lived in a trailer. But look at me now. Bing, bang, boom. Here I am. And the question is, how you follow it up? Well, what I'm saying is, I got it. How you follow it up? How you follow it up is, picture it, Dan. Picture it. There's a guy, right? Normal man. Well, mostly. He's got a wife. He's got a daughter. But he's a fat fucking pig of a man. Oinky oink. Takes his body for granted. Takes everything for granted. And then one day he's driving down the street with his wife. And his wife is fucking fucking and sucking and sucking him off, right? So where's his mind at? It's not on the road. And then that's for sure. And then bam. Hits a gypsy. Hits a gypsy with his car. Then this other fucking gypsy. She looks at him and she's like, thinner. She whispers it, whispers a curse, so he starts losing weight, right? Starts losing it real slow at first. At first, he's like, great, drop a few pounds, please to wife. But it keeps happening, skinnier and skinnier. Oh, no, what does he do? Find a friend, tracks this bitch down, right? Boom, friend gets shot, shot through the hand. And how does it end? Well, how does it end? That's what you're wondering, right? That's uh, what you're wondering. Three words. Magic fucking pie. <laughs> a murder pie, if you will. Why wouldn't you? But the wrong people eat it. His wife, his daughter, they eat it by accident. This man, the skinny fucker, he crumbles into despair. And that is how you write an ending. Boom, thank you very much. What do you think? Sitting dumbfounded at a desk across from Steve is the guy who's been privy to all this. Dan Jansen, 40. A plaque on his desk bears his name and the title, Literary Agent. Dan takes a moment to collect himself. Uh, how are things, Steve? Wife? Kids okay? Yeah, yeah, well, it's great. No, uh, all three of the kids doing great. But the idea, Dan, what do you think of the idea? You want to write a book about a gypsy who curses a fat guy to lose weight? No, no, well, well, yeah, but, but no, I don't want to write it. I, I wrote it. You're all ready? Steve produces a thick manuscript, seemingly from nowhere, and slams it down onto Dan's desk. There it is, signed, sealed, delivered. As Dan picks it up, flips through it wearily. Uh, but this one, the thing is, this one's a little darker than True Blue, Steve. So I'm thinking this one's going to be a Bachman book. You hear that, Dan? Put it out under Bachman's name. Uh, you don't want to just slip it out under your name and sell a hundred times more copies? Because people are going to find out about the Bachman thing eventually. No, Bachman, it's a Bachman. Are we in this for the money? Are we in this for the art? Dan is visibly not 100% sure how to answer. I, yeah, uh, okay. I'll give it to Susie for proofing. Right, Susie. Forgot about Susie. Proofing. Isn't that funny how the mind lets go of things sometimes? Yeah. Uh, listen, Steve, the reason I wanted to talk to you... About the book, right? What? I came here to talk about the book, remember? Finna? Uh, Steve, I called you in here. I didn't know about the book until 40 seconds ago. Right, right, yeah, that's right, sure. So uh, what can I do for you? It's, okay, it's an offer, a new opportunity. Lay it on me. Before I do, just promise me you'll think it through. I relocated to Maine to manage you specifically, and we've got a good thing going here. I, I just want to make sure we don't jump into anything over our heads. Lay it the fuck on me, brother. Okay. Dino De Laurentiis' people reached out. How is Dino? What's up with Dino? The residuals on Cat's Eye rolling in yet? Uh, not so much. Look, 
what they look they want you to direct a movie based on one of your own books i i mean it's no secret that some of the adaptations of your work have been a little well shitty dan the word you're looking for is shitty right uh, so dino's dino's idea was that you might want to do it yourself um make sure it's done right i guess Shit, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't intrigued, if I did it myself. Do you know anything about directing? No, but how hard can it be? I mean, uh... Steve glances at his giant, dorky watch. Oh, fuck, I gotta run. Walk with me. <laughs> Steve stands and leaves with no warning. Dan sighs, gets up, and follows him out. Exterior, parking lot, minutes later. Steve and Dan exit the building. Steve walks to his car, a shitbox old Honda. He's past due for an upgrade. It's an intriguing idea, that's for sure. Tell Dino to think about it, and give me your thoughts on Senna. I think people are going to really dig this one. Steve waves goodbye to Dan, walks to his car, gets in. Seconds later, ACDC music begins to blare from the car. The car jerks forward and zooms recklessly out of the parking lot. A car driving down the street swerves to avoid hitting him. Susie, 40s, Dan's co-worker, exits the building and stands next to Dan. How's our guy doing? He just turned in a book about a gypsy who curses a fat guy to lose weight. How do you think he's doing? Interior, Steve's shitbox car, same time. Steve drives down the street. He looks to his right and jolts in his seat. A tall, black-robed, Matthew McConaughey-looking dude (laughs) sits in the passenger seat. Handsome face, but evil lurks behind the eyes, as his clothes would suggest this is the man in black. Astute readers will recognize him as King's ultimate villainous creation. Big bad from The Stand, The Dark Tower, etc. That's right, King is literally having hallucinations of his fictional characters. The man in black glares at Steve for a long, cold moment. Steve does a bump of coke off the back of his own hand. Exterior parking lot moments later, Steve's shitbox car zooms back into Dan's parking lot from the other direction. He's circled the block. The window rolls down. Steve sticks his head out and yells at Dan and Susie as the car passes back through the parking lot without stopping. I circle around because I had a thought. I want to do it. Tell I want to do the movie. Tell Dino I'm on board, but only if I write the script myself. The whole thing. Tell him I'll have the script in two, two weeks. No, nope, three months. No, nope, 15 days. No, nope, three weeks. I'm going to do it, Dan. I'm going to make the greatest fucking movie the world has ever seen. Steve Zoom. The street. Another car swerves to avoid hitting him. Dan and Susie watch him go. Didn't his wife give him an intervention five years ago? Yeah, but you know Steve, he's never been a quitter. <laughs> Susie looks at Dan, who hopelessly stares out, who looks hopelessly out at the street. Steve's car disappears into distance. Exterior, Bangor, Maine, same time. Steve's car cruises through the streets of Bangor, Maine. Steve glances over at the passenger seat. The man in black continues to glare at Steve. Then the glare vanishes. He gives Steve an approving nod. Steve smiles back at him, then turns, looks at the street again. He grins, whoops, and drives off down the road. Super. Superimposed. This is sort of a true and sort of made-up story. I mean, it's true, but it's sort of embellished. You know, dramatic effect. Sorry, Stephen King. Exterior, school building, day. Steve's car screeches to a stop in front of a high school. Interior, school building, day. Steve walks down the hall of a middle school. Kids whisper to each other and move to the sides of the hall. He walks. Steve stops and looks at a kid, 13, who's staring at him. Boo. Ah! 
The kid cowers. Steve laughs and keeps walking. Joe King sees Steve and runs up to him. Dad, I've told you a billion times to wait in the car until I come out. Yeah. Why? Do I creep people out? Yes, 100% I creep people out. Steve laughs. Naomi King runs up to Joe and Steve. Dad, you're supposed to just wait. Outside, I know, I know, I know. Steve looks around, spots of one of Naomi's friends, and makes a scary face. Naomi begins to push Steve towards the door. <laughs> Steve and the kids get back into the shitty Honda. Seconds later, the ACDC begins to blare again. Exterior, Banger, Maine, minutes later. The car cruises through the streets of Banger. Steve looks to Naomi, who rides shotgun. Hey, Naomi, uh, take, take the wheel for a second. I think I dropped the quarter. <laughs> Apprehensive, Naomi takes the wheel. Steve bends down into the well between the seat and the door, out of sight from his children. He uncaps a little vial, taps a bump of coke onto his wrist, and snorts it. Still snorting, he sits back. <laughs> Woo, we found it. <laughs> Joe and Naomi share a wary look. Exterior, King home later. The car cruises through a gate and screeches to a stop in front of the large King house. Interior, King home, kitchen, later. Close on the face of a screaming child, Owen King. Owen sits in a booster seat in the kitchen. Steve looks into Owen's eyes, trying to comfort him. It's okay, Owen. Daddy's here. Papa's here. From Owen's perspective, Steve's face, looming in front of him, is horrifying. Owen cries louder. Make way for the airplane. Open up for the airplane. Steve airplanes Owen's binky into his mouth. Owen finally stops crying. Tabitha King, 35. So preparing dinner. You're really going to do it? Sure, but I'm not sure which book I want to adapt. The best ones or the most popular ones have already gotten the movie treatment and shittily. Maybe I could make thinner and put out the book and the movie at the same time. Yeah, about thinner. Or I could do The Shining again, give it a proper go. You know, considering what a heap of shit the movie was. People liked The Shining. Kubrick is a, a genius. genius. <laughs> An idiot who made a terrible movie. That's what I've been saying for years. That's not what I was going to say. I liked the movie. Steve so goes to Abby kisses her. I know. Thank you for lying. Not, never lying to me, but I didn't. Steve turns and grabs a beer from the fridge. He cracks it open. Tabby looks at the beer and opens her mouth to say something, but seems to hesitate. What's up? It's just, are you really sure you want to do this? Yeah, I mean, uh, what do you mean? How long have we been married? Well, Naomi's 12, so 13 years. She's 14. We've been married 14 years. Right. Yeah. I mean, don't act like I haven't been around. In 14 years, I've never once heard you mention a desire to direct a movie. So, I Yeah, 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 but... Steve, listen to me for two minutes. Why do you feel this is something you have to do? Steve actually does look at her, however far afield his mind may be. And when he talks, it feels like an honest answer. Look around and tell me what you see. I don't know, I guess. That's right, Tabby. You see our house. And you know where we were not that long ago? In this house. You remember where we were? Yes, I remember where we were. A trailer. We lived in a trailer. Now we don't because that's what we do. We move up and direct in a big movie, a big Hollywood movie. That's another chance to move up. Why wouldn't I take it? I don't think I'm tooting my own horn to say that I'm a great writer. Why can't I be a great director too? 
I just don't want things to get out of control again. Because I meant it during the intervention five years ago when I said that it had better not happen again. So, you sure you're... Everything's under control. If you say so, honey. Help me set the table. Into your king home dining room minutes later. The King family sits around a dinner table. Steve picks at his meatloaf, lost in thought, while Naomi blathers on about something in the background. I just, I just don't know what to do, Mom. It's hard. The dance is two weeks away, and at this point, I don't know if anybody's going to even ask me. And I don't know if it's because they think I'm ugly or short, but... Uh... What did you say? Did you say short? Steve jumps to his feet, bumping the table and sending food dishes scattering. What? That's it. Sure. Sweetie, you're a genius. Steve <laughs> runs out of the room, jostling Naomi's hair as he passes her. Naomi turns and shouts after him. No, I'm sad! <laughs> she buries her face in her hands. Tabby puts a comforting hand on her shoulder. Steve's head is buried in a closet. He digs through boxes, searching for something. What are you looking for, Steve? Steve stands, massive cardboard box in his hands. He plops it on his desk and looks up to see Jack Torrance, classic shining anti-hero and another King hallucination, standing before him. It's the Nicholson version of Jack, or, you know, a guy who looks pretty similar to a young Nicholson. Short stories, Jack. Maybe the answer is in a book. Maybe it's a short story, a kernel of an idea that could launch a full film. And every time I get a story published in a magazine, I keep one copy for myself and they all go in the closet. Look. With one, with one hand, he grabs a copy of the short story collection Night Shift from the box. With the other hand, a number of sci-fi man fantasy magazines. Wow. And you only got one giant box of short stories in there. Steve isn't listening. He's turned away, digging in the closet for another huge box. He plops this down on a desk next to the first. Gee whiz, that's a lot of writing. Don't forget what I always say, all work and no play. No, you only say that in the fucking movie. If you're going to quote me, at least be accurate. <laughs> yeah, one second thought, fuck taking it easy. Like I ever listen to my wife, am I right? I mean, sure. Tabby thinks you're going a little hard, but what does she know? If you stop, who knows what'll happen? For all you know, you'll slide back down, end up living back in a trailer, no family, everyone you love dead and forgotten like dear old mom. Say, what do you say we do a little coke and brainstorm about this script? As Jack talks, Steve produces a vial of coke and taps out a line to rival the other one from earlier. Way ahead of ya. Series of shots, the line of coke, Steve's nose, a dollar bill. A cap spins off a bottle of whiskey. The whiskey is poured into a huge pint glass, like really huge. Steve's hand wipes it off the desk. Steve spins around and is spinning off his chair. Steve flips through a fantasy mag in his office. I got it. The raft. With the kids on the raft. They die one by one, then, uh... Across from Steve sits a plump... Kathy Bates-looking lady. It's Annie Wilkes from Misery, here in the flesh. Well, in hallucination. Well, gosh darn, Steve. Are you losing your gourd? George Romero just phoned last week. He's using that as a segment in Creepshow, too. Right, shit. Hold on, who are you? You know who I cock a duty am. Crazy Broad was going to cut off the right of fellow's foot? 
or smack them with a sledgehammer haven't decided yet. <laughs> Pretty sure you're going to cut it off. But I haven't even written you yet. No, but I'm still here. She taps her head. Steve picks up another story collection. I missed. That's it. Doesn't have an ending. Let's fucking kill him. Even the kid? No, yeah, that won't fucking work. Steve, <laughs> Steve tosses back another gulp of his whiskey pint glass, then grabs her record from his record collection and slides it into his record player. The needle drops. CDC music begins to blare, shaking the office door. Baby Owen wakes up and begins to cry. Tabby glares at the office door, then continues on, shushing Baby Owen. Cigarette in one hand, Steve flips through another magazine. Suddenly, he jumps to his feet. I got it. Fuck yes, I yeah, yes, sir. He tosses the magazine out of the desk. The magazine is open to the first page of a story titled Trucks. Pan up from the cover to reveal. Trucks? Trucks. This is my movie. It's about the trucks that come to life and try to kill people. Okay, I think I remember this story. Why did they come to life? Uh, because of, I don't know, shit. What if there's like an asteroid passes over the S? <laughs> Why would that make them come to life? Alien technology, I think, although I'm not really sure yet. All I know is I'm kind of wedded to this asteroid idea. Uh-huh. And how's the script coming along? Right, the script. Steve turns around and runs out of the room. He begins the montage. Steve pounds away at his typewriter like a mad motherfucker. Ding. He pulls a page free and slams on the desk. Ding. He pulls another page free and slams on a small pile of pages. Ding. Another page under the pile. A flame flicks out of a lighter. Steve lights a joint, slumps against the wall of his office and inhales until the whole joint crumbles to ash. He waits, then exhales an insane, inhuman stream of continuous weed smoke. Seconds later, Steve, as high as any other person has ever been, lies slumped on the carpet of his office. He looks up. The typewriter sits on the edge of the desk above him. Steve crawls across the carpet, reaches up, hooks two fingers into the frame of the typewriter, and pulls. The typewriter topples off the desk, spins over, and then and slams into the ground, right side up, inches from Steve's head. A little further over, it would have smashed his brain into the carpet. The M pops off the typewriter, unfazed. Steve picks up the key, looks at it, and tosses it away. That's a reference to something. If you don't know what, you're not cool enough to know. Steve up with one hand and begins to finger peck on the typewriter. And then the one motherfucker says to the other motherfucker, Dixie Boy, trapped at gas station, Mighty Ducks, something asshole. Hours later, Steve is asleep on the floor. He jolts awake, looks around wildly, and goes back to his desk. Steve shotguns a beer, types in a madman, pops a piece, and examples to the type like madman. Stack of baby grows large in the background. Pulling from Suits 1985 plays loudly. Her two kids in high school, they tell her that she's uncool because she's still preoccupied <laughs> with 19, 19, 1985. How the fuck are you singing along to this song? Steve looks up, Jack sits across from him. This song isn't going to be written for another 20 years. <laughs> Who are you to talk? You're not real either. Harsh but fair, amigo. Here. Have another beer. He hands Steve another beer. Steve shotguns it and continues to sing and type madly. Interior. Dan's office. Steve runs through the door of Dan's office. Dan sits at his desk across from Dan. Some dude who's probably a client. Damn! Steve, I'm with a client. (laughs) 
Fuck me, is that Stephen King? I can come back. No, it's okay. Sure, come back, send a book, I'll sign it. See you later, buddy. <laughs> Dude exits, she produces a script for Maximum Overdrive and slams it onto Dan's desk. There it is. There, there what is? It's the script. The script for the movie I'm directing. I'm going to call it Maximum Overdrive. This is it? It's done? I, I, I told you this was a possibility three days ago and you finished the script? Uh, how long even is this thing? 250 pages, but I'm making cuts. Steve. What? What is it? I don't know. How do you feel? Uh, do you feel like you maybe need to step back and take a breath? Uh, think you can really be your best self when making this film instead of rushing headlong into something you're not prepared for? Well, actually, there is something I've been thinking about. What is it? I'm sure it's a problem we can work through. Challenges are how we... ACDC. What? They're my favorite band. Yeah, I know. I read your books. I don't want to do this movie unless they write an original soundtrack for it. <laughs> Seriously? Sure, yeah, why not? That might not be possible. Get me in a room with Angus Young and let's find out. That might not be as easy as... I'm pretty sure he'll take a meeting with me. I wrote Pet Cemetery. <laughs> Steve gets to his feet and walks to the door. Get me a meeting with Angus Young and get me back in the room with Dino De Laurentiis. I should probably confirm that this is really happening. Oh, and read the script. I think you'll like it. Steve exits and slams the door. Dan picks up the script and begins to flip through it with what can only be described as moderate disinterest. Cut to the King home living room, the morning. Steve strolls through the living room, heading towards the front door. Naomi looks up from the couch. Hey, Dad. Where are you off to? I am uh, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I'm about to go meet with ACDC. The, they're in Bangor? Uh, they're actually playing a show in Portland. I'm driving down there for the day. Oh, does Mom know? No, good point. Can you tell her? Steve exits, slamming the door. Sure, Dad. Interior, diner, day. Stephen King sits across from ACDC's Angus Young and Brian Johnson <laughs> in a diner booth. So, you want us to... Write an original soundtrack for the movie, back to front, yes. And the movie is about... Right, uh, trucks don't, well, uh, not just trucks, but all machines. Basically, a comet passes over the Earth, causes all the machines to, uh... Sure. Come to life. Exactly. Well, shit. I guess I'm the fuck on board. <laughs> I love your writing, and Brian is a huge fan of Carrie, so... That's true. Great. 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 Say, I think I'm going to go to the bathroom, man. Wait, for what reason? To take a piss or to powder your nose? If by powder my nose, you mean snort a shitload of coke coke. Then yeah, I'm going to go snort a shitload of coke. Great. Great. I'll come with you. Into your bathroom minutes later. Steve snorts a line of coke off the counter. Brian snorts a line of coke off the counter. Ah, no, wait. Stay still. Brian taps a bump on the king's wrist and snorts it off. All right, hold on. I'll look up at the ceiling. 
Okay, now get your dick out. What? Exterior diner parking lot, minutes later. Steve exits the diner, waves goodbye to Angus and Brian, and gets into his car. Interior, Steve's shitbox car. Steve shuts the door and sits in the driver's seat. A drop of blood splashes down onto Steve's leg. He looks in the rearview mirror. A trickle of blood runs from his nose. Unconcerned, Steve opens his glove compartment. He sees what he sees that it's full of Kleenex. This has happened before. Steve grabs one and starts to staunch the nosebleed. Steve's car pulls out of the parking lot. Into a bar. Later, Steve and Dino De Laurentiis sit across from one another in the same bar. Dino speaks what can only be described as a crazy, heavy Italian accent. He stirs a Bloody Mary as he talks. I will be honest. I'm not 100% sure you have... Uh, how, how do I say this? Script directing capabilities. Dino, to be honest, neither am I. But I've been able to pick up everything else along the way, right? This is what I think as well. And to be honest, what does it matter? You make good movie, you make bad movie, this is not a huge risk. I wish for you to make movie you want to make, and I think it will make money on your good name alone. Even if it's a heap of shit? Hey, we made money on Firestarter, didn't we? <laughs> I guess we did. Good. Now we need to start thinking about a script. Steve pulls out a copy of the script and drops it under the table in front of Dino. Here it is, fought off the presses. You work fast, my friend. Shit, yeah. Dino picks up the script and flips it. Trucks? It's trucks kind of trying to kill people? Well, all machines, really, because the comet passes over the Earth. Great. And the tail of the comet brings all the machines to life and makes them evil, so they try to kill a bunch of people who take shelter at a truck stop. Cool. It's based on a short story. I love it. Who do you want to start? I was thinking Redford. <laughs> Dino chokes on his Bloody Mary. Some of it comes out of his nose. <laughs> you were thinking Redford? You were thinking Robert Redford for our little movie where trucks kill people? What, is that not a realistic plan? <laughs> I can call him, but I suspect he will tell us to, uh, to fuck you. Plus, this man, he will consume half our budget on day one. Well, shit, Dino. Uh, what are you thinking, then? I tell you, I have a strong working relationship with Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez? The kid, the, the sexy kid from Outsiders, from Repo Men, Martin Sheenson, so practically already in the King family. I tell you, the kid has chops. And besides, the ladies love him. We'll ma make back our money just from the pussies that flood the theater. <laughs> Is that really true? He'll draw a female crowd? The arms like that kid has, he's probably fucking his way through half of Manhattan right now. Exterior Manhattan Day. Cliché establishes shots of Manhattan set to some song about New York. <laughs> Interior, Emilio Estevez apartment. Same. Two people having sex on a couch. A young Emilio Estevez in his 20s and an equally young Demi Moore in her 20s. At this point in Hollywood's illustrious history, the two of them are dating. With every thrust. Oh, Demi. Oh, Demi Moore. You're so famous and we're fucking. We're both so fucking famous. If we taped this, we could sell it for $40 million. Start oh! up, Emilio. Emilio's phone rings, a consummate professional. He stops mid rust and answers. Uh, yeah. What? Wait, what the fuck is the movie about? No, wait. What is it really about? 
Are you serious? But it's... You said King's involved. Wow, no shit, huh? Directing? How much is the offer for? Yeah, yeah, thanks, Bernie. <sighs> yeah, send over the script. Emilio hangs up and looks down at Demi. They want me to read for the lead in a Stephen King movie. Do you think I should do it? Can we uh, talk about this later, please? Yeah, right. Sorry. <sighs> back down to business. <laughs> Interior, king home, kitchen, day. The family, minus Steve's, eats breakfast. Steve sticks his head into the room. Everyone be on your best behavior. I'm flying potential cast in to read for me today. Is that... Is that the normal procedure for something like this, honey? When has normal ever had helped anybody? <laughs> Steve looks in the mirror of the bathroom. The man in black stands over his shoulder. He nods at Steve, a faint smile on his lips. Steve looks down at his palm. Several mushrooms, and not the kind you cook for dinner, sit in his palm. Enough to fuck up more than a few people, Steve thinks, and pops them all into his mouth. Interior, casting room. However long it takes the shrooms to kick in. We find ourselves in a room with a garish, bright red walls. The interior of this casting room should be as nightmarish as the interior of the store of Thiefel. This is, after all, Steve's shroom trip. Steve and Emilio sit across from one another on vintage bar stools. Listen, man, I just want to say I'm a huge fan. This is a little embarrassing, but Christine was actually one of the first books I ever really read. It's... Answer me one question. Um, sure. You're not Robert Redford. <laughs> That's accurate. He gets up and paces around the small red room. Yeah, well, I wanted Redford to be in my movie. I'm sorry I'm not him? Don't beat yourself up too bad. Your dad was in one of my movies. Did you know that? I did. And you know Dino? Yeah, a little. Okay, well, uh, I don't know. Do you want to do it? You can act, right? Do you want me to read sides or something? Huh? To make sure I'm, you know, right for the part. Oh, I don't know. Do you want to improv or something? Sure. Steve raises his arms and runs across the room towards Emilio. Woo! I'm a truck and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> ah! Great, you'll do. We shoot North Carolina in the summer. That work for you? I'll have to talk to my agents. Cool. See you then. Steve holds out his hand. <laughs> Emilio shakes it. We're gonna make history together. Interior casting room later. The camera, an image that we sh should be used to by now. Pupils still dilated, he's still tripping. Reverse, to see the person Steve is staring at, the young, kind-faced Yearly Smith, pre-Simpsons. May I just say, Mr. King, I really love you. On one of my first dates ever, we went to see Carrie. It's just delightful. Have you prepared your sides? Uh, there's only one line on this piece of paper. <coughs> well, read it, and by fuck, read it well. <laughs> Yardley clears her throat and looks down at the sheet. Don't make me a widow on my wedding day, Curtis. Louder. Don't make me a widow on my wedding day, Curtis. With passion. Don't make me a widow on my wedding day, Curtis. Hired. King home, driveway, day. Standing next to her car in the king driveway is Laura Harrington, 28. 
Movie star cute, big 1980s hair, emanates confidence, intelligence, and sexiness. Laura talks into a giant boxy 1980s cell phone. Yes, Mark, I'm here, but I'm, I'm not happy about it. You know, I finally got a chance to read the script on the flight over. Jesus. I know... I know it's king, but I've said it a million times. I want to be a fucking movie star, not a drive-in queen. I want fame. Damn it. I, starring roles, tablet scandals, all of it. What good is it going to do me to be in a shitty car movie? She glances up casually and sees Emilio walking towards the car. Holy shit. Visiting for this movie? He's practically a lock? Well, hell, let me paint you a picture. Photos of me and him. Kissing on set. You think that scandal would finally get my name out there? I mean, shit. What if I could break them up and steal him from Demi fucking Moore? Across the driveway, Emilio reaches his car. Hey, Emilio? Emilio Estevez? Emilio glances up to see Laura walking towards him. She shines a great big pearly white smile his way. The one and only. Hi, I'm Laura. Pleasure to meet you. Man, I've... Not to freak out here, but I'm a huge fan. Dude, The Outsiders. Wait, are you are you going to be in this movie? It's to sound that way, you. Guess I'm about to find out. Best of luck then, Laura. Hope to see you on set. He flashed a smile. She blushes. Whether it's real or an act, it's a bit hard to tell. Emilio gets in his car, drives off. She watches him go. Oh, you're going to see me on set. Casting room later. Pupils still dilated as fuck. Steve stares out the door of the casting room. The door opens. Laura comes sauntering in, possessed with sultry determination. Laura walks across the room and sits in a chair. She looks at Steve for a full three seductive seconds before talking. I'm a fan of your work. Cujo and all that spooky shit. Thank you. You're here to read for... Brett? Uh, That's a weird name for a character. A boy's name. My apologies. Laura scans her sheet of silence. You're having me read from this sex scene, of course. Sorry about that. Make the most of it? Why, of course. Laura looks down. When she looks back up, she's down to sultry, sexy guys. She stands up, unbuttons her shirt a few buttons, and saunters up to Steve. Her cleavage and general aura all fill all up in his grill. You're looking quite a bit cuter, I must admit. I'll tell you one thing, hero. What's that? You make love like dangerous Dan McGrew. She throws herself into his arms and hugs him hard, kisses him, and he picks up and carries her back to the cart for round two. They lower their sides. Laura fixes him with a sultry gaze. What'd you think? You hired. Great. See you in North Carolina. In the hallway, moments later, Laura exits the casting room and rebuttons her shirt. The sultry guy she was putting on immediately dropping away. She walks off down the hall. In the King home later that day, Joe sits hunched over in the desk in his room, scribbling something onto a sheet of paper. Tabby knocks on the door. Sweetie, come out to the driveway. We're going to say goodbye to your father. Coming. Joe continues scribbling as Tabby leaves. Steve loads a suitcase into the trunk of his car and slams the trunk. He turns toward Tabby and Naomi. We're going to miss you around the house. You're going to come visit the set at some point, right? Sure. Once the kids are out of school in a couple of weeks, I'll load them into an airplane. We'll come see what you're working on. What is it? 30 days or something? 31, I think. 
And you're gonna, you know, take it easy. He'll be fine. Joe runs out of the house and jogs up to them, small stack of paper in hand. Hey, Dad! What is it, buddy? I, um, I wrote something. I was wondering if you'd take a look at it. Steve takes the pages and looks at them. Insert the first page, Black Cloud by Joe Hill. What, like a story? Yeah, something like that. You sure I'm not too uncool to read it? I mean, you're pretty uncool, but I appreciate it. Yeah, sure, buddy. I'm going to be pretty, pretty busy over the next few months, but I'll try to take a look. Steve crams the story into his pocket. Joe looks uncertain. So, Dad, you excited? Your first movie. You know, I really am. I just, I really think I can do it. Do what? Make the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> the montage begins. Emilio Estevez gets off and cool guy sunglasses on his face while Steve cruises across the country in his charmingly shitty car. Cool guy sunglasses on his face. Meanwhile, Laura Harrington cruises down a dirt road on a motorcycle. Cool guy sunglasses on her face. <laughs> the sign that says, Well, North Carolina. Exterior to Dixie Boy during the day. Wide on, a full-scale set recreation of a truck stop. A sign displays the name Dixie Boy Truck Stop. Gas pumps, convenience store, none of it yet finished, so workers are scurrying back and forth. In the parking lot sits a massive toy truck with a giant recreation of the recreation of the Green Goblin's face mounted to its front. On the side, the words Happy Toys. Steve and Dino stand side by side, admiring the facade. Steve, this is my masterpiece. What do you think? It looks straight out of a unicorn's pussy snorting dream. What does this mean? It looks incredible. <laughs> Trucks especially. Remind me, Deanies, why are you in town? Another production of mine is shooting here. This is why we shoot you movie in North Carolina. I tell you this 200 times. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, what's the other movie? It is called Blue Velvet. An interesting title. Not to my taste, but it's undeniably evocative. I'm inclined to agree. But that Kyle McLaughlin, biggest dick I have ever seen on a man. <laughs> oh, he shows his dick in the movie? No, why? Steve looks quizzically at Dino. Into your Dixie Boy, night. Steve and Dino and all the cast members of Maximum Overdrive take their seats in a circle of folding chairs set up in the main room of the full-scale Dixie Boy truck stop set. Laura and Emilio sit next to one another. Hey, Laura, right? Great to see you again. You too. Steve looks around the room, locking eyes with Emilio, Yearly, Laura, and all the others. Can I just say, so fucking glad to have all of you here. The purpose of this table read... Like all table reads, the purpose is to get the script on its feet, give notes on performances. Yeah, 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 but in this case, I wrote the script very fast. I want to make sure everything makes logical sense. So if anything stands out as illogical, feel free to speak up. All right, I'll be reading action. Fade in. Many pages have turned. Emilio and an older actor, Pat Hingle in his 60s, are the stars of the scene being read. You messing where you hadn't ought to be messing again, boy. I guess sometimes even college boys don't learn their lessons until they've had a few chops busted a few times, don't they? Do you know what's going on inside, you happy asshole? You blind? Great. I think that scene holds up, right? Well, 
sure. I'm just wondering what exactly it means to call someone a happy asshole. <laughs> Perfect. Moving on. The part of Deke is read by a child actor, Holter Graham. Bill, where's my dad? Don got scrubbed by one of them big boys up there. Tough break, kid. Laura slaps him in the face hard. A little lesson in manners from the road twitch, you fucking winker. <laughs> End of scene. Great work. Just don't know exactly what a road twitch is, but... <laughs> it's a common expression in Maine. Here is a shot of actors reading lines. Emilio reads the line. So, broom. Say you're a race aliens looking for a new place to live. Say you're looking for a new planet like you and me might be looking for a new house. Only it's like a big old house no one ever took care of. So they send in their interstellar house cleaners, send in the broom, sweep it clean. I never saw a hero with his ass up in the air like that. Don't you go to the movies? Heroes always do this shit alone. Steve turns to the last page of his script. The end. Great. That's a wrap. Is there anything that didn't... Is there anything logically that doesn't make sense? <laughs> I believe some of the lines... No, the lines are great. We don't talk about logic. Anyone? Yuri raises a nervous hand and Steve nods at her. In the script, all cars come to life, right? But why don't the cars we're driving come to life? Like, we're in the car, driving away from evil cars. Is our car not evil? Why wouldn't our car crash itself into another car to blow us up? Hmm. Interesting. A legitimate point, Yedley. Thank you. I'll fix it before the day. Commit to memory. Commit to memory. Got it. <laughs> Anyone else have logic issues? Four separate hands go up. Steve's back is already to the table, and he doesn't see them. Cool. We're going to make art, people. Meanwhile, in Steve's hotel room at 4 a.m., Steve lies awake in bed, staring straight at the ceiling. He reaches over, grabs his phone, and dials. Ring, ring, ring-a-ding-ding-ding. Hello. Tabby. Tabitha. Steve. What time is it? Tabby, it's the first day. It's the first day of shooting. Well, tomorrow it is. It's not day yet. Tabby. You're nervous? Uh, no, never. Uh, a little. Just remember, you're gonna... <laughs> Great. Tabby falls asleep on the other end. Uncertain, Steve sets down the phone, then looks up to see Annie Wilkes spread appeared from nowhere standing at the foot of the bed she holds a sledgehammer in her hand and steve jumps sure that wife of yours says you're gonna do great but what the cockadoody heck does that dirty bird know i'm your number one fan stevie and i'm worried you just won't have the energy she's not wrong <laughs> steve jumps again looks over to see the man in black leaning coolly against the wall I go by many names. Randall Flagg, Walter O'Dim. Man in black. I may not be of this world, but I have seen and seen again the consequences of failure. Remember where you came from. Remember how easy you could return there. He points across the room. Steve looks over to see a grimy trailer impossibly nestled against one wall of the hotel room. The color drains out of Steve's face as he looks at it. Well, I'm never going back there. You sure about that? Steve he's not wrong, down. you had better do whatever you can. Or when you're at peak 
performing capacity, hadn't you? Steve thinks about this then. Title over black, day one. Interior, Steve's hotel, bathroom, 5 a.m. Coke, all the Coke, all the Coke goes into Steve's nose. <laughs> Steve's hotel, 6 a.m. Steve jots back and forth, chugging up here. Bank, 7 a.m. A full production day on a fairly low budget movie. But you know, we've got all the crew guys and cameramen and boom mics and all that good stuff. Everyone's setting up. Eyes dilated. Steve strolls in the middle of the set dressed in a ludicrous white suit. A can of beer clutched in his hand. Hello. Hello, crew. Attention. People stop what they're doing. Look up reverently. We hear murmurs of. Look, it's really him. Stephen fucking King. I just want to say that I think we're really going to make something special here. And what better way to start than with some the most special of all, my cameo. Let's all do our best work today. And break. The crew goes back to work. Inspiring speech. Steve turns to see Armando Nanuzzi, an intimidating, gaunt, deadly, serious Italian man with a thick accent. Not every day do I see a director extol his own brilliance to crew, then say, break. <laughs> Amanda Nanusi, director of photography. Steve King, put it there, friend. Steve holds out his hand to shake. Armando just stares at it and does a little half-smile to himself. You know we've met before. We have? Yes, on Silver Bullet. I was DP on that picture, too. We interact many times, but this you forget. Well, friend, I apologize. It's been a heck of a couple of years. But I've got a good feeling you and I are going to get along real well now. Yes, maybe we will. Armando surveys the set. Steve, may I ask, what happens in this scene? Today? Big scene. Best scene of the movie. The S has just passed into the tail of the comet. No, specifically, what happens in this scene? Well, I walk up to that ATM machine and it calls me an asshole. <laughs> Armando stares at Steve for a long moment. Oh, it is a difficult thing to create. Sometimes the creation of smut is an art in itself. You might want to get your costume on. Armando walks off. Steve looks at, after him quizzically, then puts on a bowler hat and dorky glasses with clip-on sunglasses that flip up. Steve walks over to the ATM. The prop master tinkers with the display screen. Show me what we're working with. The prop master hits a couple buttons. The display comes on. Insert. The screen reads, you are an asshole. Great. Next one. Prop master hits another button. Insert. The screen reads, asshole, 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 and on and on and on. Dino approaches. We ready to go? Ready. Great. Thanks again for being here on the first day. I'll show up for you when I can, my friend. Steve looks around and rubs his hands together. Let's get this in one take. And the exterior of the bank minutes later, Armando stands next to a cameraman who shoots a wide shot. From Armando's point of view, we see Steve walk across the parking lot and stand in front of the ATM, a recreation of the opening scene from Maximum Overdrive. Honey. Steve flips up the sunglass lenses on his glasses and looks to an extra standing over his shoulder. Come over here, sugar buns. I think this machine just called me an asshole. Steve walks away from the ATM. Cut. Steve jogs over to Armando, removing his hat and sunglasses. Hey, need some quick movie tips. Who's the person I ask if we got everything or not? Excuse me? Like all the shots. How do I know if we got all the shots? You should know. You're the director. You check. As you move, you keep track of everything. Are the eyelines matching? Are the actors acting? Have you captured the art, the beauty, the heart of the... Well, I think we got it. We shot the thing and the other thing and the cameras were... Rolling? Moving, yeah. 
Great. Pack it up, everyone. Great first morning. Steve walks away from Armando. A beer can falls out of Steve's pocket and clatters onto the ground. Armando looks at it with visible distaste. He looks to cameraman one. A man who lives his life this way has only misery in his future. What? One looks at Armando. What? A flickering sign reads, Luxury's Lap Motel, the lap of luxury. Amelia walks to a motel room door and knocks. After a few seconds, the door opens, revealing Laura. She wears a tank top, no bra, and chews gum. She smiles, leans against the door frame. What's up, Mighty Ducks? Wondering when you were going to swing by. Uh, movie's actually not going to come out for, like, another six years. So I can see the future. Suck my dick. I'll pass. Thanks. Sit yourself. Come on in. Laura reclines on the bed as Emilio stands at the foot. So what's on your mind? I don't know. I mean, do you think do you think this was a mistake? Like, I mean, this Stephen King. Stephen King. Nobody loves this man more than me. But does Stephen King seem a little bit... Coked out of his fucking mind? I don't know, maybe. But who cares? Who, who cares? If Steve doesn't slow down, he's going to have an aneurysm and die in the middle of our shooting schedule. Yeah, well, if anything, it's worked to my advantage so far. What do you mean? Did you? you fuck him, did you? What? No, he's a married man. I mean, he might have flirted a little. Well, that's gross. Why? It's a studio movie. It's Stephen King. We're young and hot, and... You know what happens to young, hot people in Hollywood. They become not young and not hot. So, excuse me, if I keep what's at my disposal to keep riding this wave. You know what I mean? Laura plays with the string of her tank top. It sounds like you mean you think I'm hot. Uh, come on, uh, fucking repo man. Don't act like you don't know. I mean, we're going to be neighbors for the next month, so... You think you might want to have some fun? She extends her foot out and rests it on his thigh. He looks down, waits probably a beat too long before backing away. I, uh, uh, no. I'm dating Jimmy Moore. Oh, come on. I'm cuter than she is, aren't I? That's irrelevant. No. I mean, we can make a pretty powerful couple. Stars of the movie, falling in love. It'd be a cool story, right? I, I should really get going. Good night, Laura. You sure? Because there's a little mini bar over there, you know. You sure you don't want to, I don't know, meh, pour champagne on my boobs or something? <laughs> Emilio exits, shutting down the, shutting the door behind him. Laura watches as he walks past the window, heading back towards his room. Stupid Amelia. Title over black. Day two. Baseball field. Morning. Extremely close on two hyperdilated pupils. Pull back to reveal. Steve whistles as he walks across a baseball field. Bright and early. Twenty kids in baseball uniforms and the actor playing their coach. Off to the side of the baseball field, a utility shack with a vending machine. Steve, coach, and stunt coordinator gather in front of the vending machine. You understand what's going to happen in this scene, right?
Yeah, a can flies out, this machine hits me in the dick, right? Right, and it's the big ha-ha-ha. All the kids think it's real funny until another can hits you in the forehead, and then bam, you die. The kids freak out. That's all great. Listen, is this going to hurt my dick? When the can flies out, it's going to hurt my dick. Stunt coordinator holds up a cardboard can. Should it? It's thin, cardboard, but considering the velocity, it might still be wise to wear a protective. I'm sure he'll be fine. Look at him, big strong man. Let's get this thing on his feet. The coach stands tentatively in front of the vending machine. And action. Off to the side of the machine, stunt coordinator activates a pressurized pump. A cardboard can shoots out of the vending machine and slams into coach's cock area. Coach doubles over. Cut. That hurt, man. That still fucking hurt my dick. On the baseball field later, Steve and crew members stand over a dummy body molded after an eight-year-old boy. This thing is chock full of corn syrup, right? Like, full to the brim? Prop master nods. Great, let's do this. On the baseball field minutes later, everyone in their places. Action. An industrial street cleaner roars to life and rolls towards the dummy of the boy. The street cleaner graphically crushes the dummy's body. Red corn syrup sprays violently from the dummy. Steve and the crew roar with laughter. Urbando watches proceedings with typical distaste. On a highway later that day, the crew sets up a closed-off stretch of highway. Off to the one side, Steve chats with Armando, planning out shots. As they talk, a car sits on the empty stretch of road. Yearly Smith and John Short, the actor playing her husband, I don't get it. During the table read, he said he would fix the issue of the cars we're driving not coming to life, but... As far as I can tell, he didn't. There's no reason this car we're in doesn't crash itself into a wall to kill us. Uh, I think he's got other things on his mind. Like what? Coke? Listen, Yardley, we're at the start of a long, exciting career, so let's just enjoy it. Fair enough. There is this one thing I'm pretty excited about. In a few weeks, I'm starting voice work on this cartoon short called The Simpsons. What's that about? A family of yellow people having adventures. Really? Well, hell. My motto is, take the work you can get. You never know what's going to take off. You know, Laura actually has a fun line of dialogue in this movie. Eat my shorts. I like the sound of that. Eat my shorts. Maybe I can take it, use it in something. Action. John starts the car and it rolls out of frame. Steve dials a number and holds the phone up to his ear from his hotel. The phone rings and rings and rings, and then... You've reached the King residence. Please leave a message. Steve hangs up. Why do you think she didn't answer? She's probably just busy. Sure. But there's not a chance she's getting a little tired of you? Falling out of love? Because I happens more than you think. I should know. What are you talking about? Oh, I'm sure it's not worth worrying about. Let's say we take a ride and forget about our troubles. Jack hands Steve a tab of acid, and Steve puts it <laughs> on his tongue. Steve lies on his bed, flipping through TV channels. Oh, shit. Twilight Zone. The TV screen. Rod Serling addresses the camera. You are entering the Twilight Zone. You, Stephen King, are entering... The Twilight Zone. Check this shit out. The TV cuts to static, then reappears as an image of Jack Torrance. Steve. Hey, Steve. I'm on your TV. What the fuck are you doing in there? 
That's a good question. Matter of fact, it's a little bit lonely in here. I'm coming back out. Jack grips the sides of the TV and begins to climb through into the real world. Check it out. I'm climbing out of your TV, Steve. Just like that girl in the ring. God's <laughs> <laughs> name is The Ring. Don't know. Doesn't exist yet. Point is, here's Johnny. I didn't write that fucking line. That's, that's in the shitty movie. If you're going to quote Kubrick to me, you can go back in the fucking TV. <laughs> Jack emerges fully into the room and, and walks up to Steve's bed. All right, all right. I'll lay off. Point is, how's your trip? Well, not great. I'm still seeing you. Say, that's true. Maybe you should take it up a level. <laughs> Jack produces a bottle of Jack Daniels. Hey, this is kind of funny. I'm Jack Torrance, and this is Jack Daniels. Drink us both in, you son of a bitch. Steve takes the bottle and looks around the room. This is a fantasy, so is this fantasy booze? Tell you what, Steve. Why don't you drink it and find the fuck out? Steve unscrews the cap and begins to drink. A series of nightmarish images as the acid kicks in, as the effects intermingle with the scotch. This is the very definition of a bad trip. The man shifts and tilts around Steve. Annie Wilkes and the man in black dance in front of the melting wallpaper. The trailer that Steve used to call home is back against the far wall of the room, a hellish glow around it. From Steve's point of view, we see Jack Torrance as he leers into Steve's face, his creepy grin twisted out of proportion. Dead like dear old mom and no one to love you. Why do you think your old man left? Why? Blood pours from Steve's nose. He clutches his hands to his face, trying to hold it in. Is any of this real? Then we cut to black, and we get to Steve's hotel room in the morning. Sun shines in through the window. Steve is sprawled out on his bed, fully clothed and fully unconscious. His bedside phone rings incessantly. Finally, Steve's eyes peel open. He emits a long groan. Uh-oh. Hangover city. Steve reaches over and smacks the phone. It falls off the cradle. He feebly drags it towards his face. Hello? Steve, where in God's name are you? Hell's asshole. <laughs> Didn't catch that, but if the answer was anything besides on set, filming the fucking ice cream truck scene, and I've been there for an hour, but you just didn't see me because you're an idiot, Dino, you're an idiot, then so help me. Fuck. Steve's eyes shoot wide open. I'm coming. Steve hangs up and shoots upright in bed. Annie stands at the foot of the bed. Now, look at that. You've gone and disappointed him. Him and everyone else. How can you let something like that happen? How? Moments later, Steve rails a line of coke off the bedside table. On the highway, late morning, the whole crew has assembled on a closed-off stretch of highway that stretches Ice cream truck is parked on the highway. The back of the truck is open. A length of telephone pole has been shunted in, spanning from front to back. Steve stands with Dino Armando, stunt coordinator, and a young stunt driver. Okay, so explain this to me. The stunt is the ice cream truck careens into frame, crashes, and flips end over end. Won't it just roll sideways? No, that's why we have the phone pole. And the candleless turnover system inside the truck, so the pneumonic lever will extend all, extend, and the truck will go up. I and didn't cancel. Thank you, and, Mike. And crash down on its ass, front over in. All the while, I'll be inside it in a forced cage at a controlled skid. Sliding past the carefully placed cameraman, far enough back to capture it safely and with thrill. Right, right. Steve, it's a complicated stunt, but it's all set up. I know you've had a... Rough morning. All you have to do is call action. You 
barely even have to direct. This Steve's hit hard and wrong. I barely even have to direct. I'm the fucking director. Shouldn't I direct? Steven. Stunt driver guy. My name's Dan. How fast you driving? Around 40. It'll look faster on... Fuck that. Can you go 50? You do not know what you're doing. This That sends everything out of the realm of controllability. Kid, can you do it or not? For you? Shit, yeah, Mr. King. Great, let's go. This is insane and dangerous, and not just for him either. What if he slides into a cameraman? I won't stand by and let you put my crew at risk like this. Well, shit, somebody's gonna shoot it. Fine, fine. If none of you see how crazy this man is, I will take the risk. I will run the camera. Whatever you need to feel comfortable, buddy. Armando, in position, personally mans the camera. Steve and Dino stand back with the rest of the crew at a safe distance. In the truck, stunt driver grins and revs the gas. Action. The stunt driver slams on the gas and the truck takes off. The odometer creeps up to 50. In the truck, the pneumatic tubes fu- systems fire. A metal lever shoots out, slamming to the ground. The truck's wheels leave the ground. It flips sideways, not end over end as was supposed to. Sparks fly as it slams down onto its side and skids sideways across the ground. Screeching straight towards Armando, Armando's eyes go wide. He grabs his camera and leaps and lands with a thud on the ground as the ice cream truck screeches past him, tearing through the place where he stood just moments before. He would have been dead. The truck comes to a stop. A moment of stunned silence. Armando cowers on the ground, his arms over his head. Slowly he looks up, realizes he's alive, and then, I think I'm okay. Did we get it? The crew breaks into their trance and runs towards the accident. Crew members pull stunt driver from the car. He appears uninjured. Armando gets to his feet, physically unharmed, but shaken. The realization sinks in in that nobody is harmed. Slowly, the mood shifts back towards conveniality, lots of nervous joking and laughing, but not from Armando. Well, that clearly went a little off the rails, but I think it'll be fine when all's said and done, assuming the film survived. Man! Silent morning. More handshaking and laughing from the crew. The mood grating on Armando more and more until... That's enough! Everyone shuts up. Armando strides towards Steve. Calm down there, partner. You nearly killed me. You nearly killed me. And your stunt driver. And you would have killed my cameraman had I not had the foresight to replace him. Because you are drunk and high. You don't know that. Maybe my pupils just dilate in the sunlight. (laughs) (laughs) You are a foolish lug of a man. Armando turns to address the whole crew. How do none of you see what is happening? We got lucky today. Tomorrow, maybe not. If we continue like this, somebody gets hurt. Stunt driver approaches Steve and Armando. Honestly, Armando, I feel fine. That's the spirit. Come on, chill out, Armando. We're all friends here, right? (laughs) After an approval from the crew, Armando gives Steve a death stare and walks off. Steve turns cheerily back to the crew on the interior of the Dixie Boys set. Emilio sits at the counter and talks on the phone. He watches through the window as the crew preps a shot. It's going pretty well. Uh, Tensions are a little high, but I'm getting along with the cast just great. Demi's voice comes through. And how's the love interest? Those sex scenes aren't bleeding over to real life, I hope. Well... (laughs) Emilio glances out the window and sees Steve beckoning to him. Well? Well, what? Did something happen between you two? What? No, no. I I, I don't even think she's hot. I gotta run. They need me on set. I didn't ask if you thought she was hot. Why did you bring that up? 
Outside, Steve walks towards the window. He presses his face to the glass and peers through at Emilio. Emilio, we need you out here, pal. Hey, I was thinking, maybe I might come out and visit you next week. I'd really love to see you, but there's really nothing to worry about. Maybe I'll uh, remind you why we're so good for each other. Fine, that'd be great. Uh, I really got to run on them. Bye. <laughs> someone's gonna, someone's gonna play it, right? Done enough. It's out of tune. Good job. The title's over black to Highway to Hell by ACDC kicks in. Each shot in this content is formatted the exact same way. Something being filmed in the background. While in the foreground, Steve is drinking a beer. Series of shots. Background, Emilio Estevez and Laura Harrington film a love scene. Foreground, Steve drinks a beer. Background, a drawbridge lifts in an iconic, at least an iconic as a movie as this nutty can have. Scene from the movie where a drawbridge lifts up while cars are still on it. Foreground, Steve drinks a beer. Background, Emilio runs from a truck. Foreground, Steve drinks a beer. Background, Steve drinks a beer. Foreground, Steve drinks a beer. A screen divided into nine squares, Brady Bunch styles. In all the outside squares, Steve drinks beer. In the center square, he looks to the camera, crosses his arm, and smiles. End montage. Amusement park, day. The King family, Steve and Tabby, Joe, Naomi, and Baby Owen in a a stroller, walk through a sparsely populated North Carolina amusement park. Mom, can we take Owen to see the duck pond? Sure, just... Naomi and Joe grab Baby Owen and run off. Don't drop him. She looks at Steve and smiles. They kiss. So how is the flight in? Oh, that's that's definitely Tabby. No, I think oh, really? I don't have a line there. That... <laughs> yeah, I know. I, think it's I know. I could tell. That's a that's a typo. That's weird. But, as far as the flight with Baby can go, pretty good. He only cried seven times, so I consider that a victory. <laughs> Take Steve's hand. How's the production going? Pretty well, I think. Yeah? Yeah, the stuff we've got looks great. Leading kids are going to sizzle on screen. It's what we don't have yet that scares me. Some of the stunts, uh, when I'm writing, it's me in a room. But there are people now. People dependent on me to tell them, well, you know, where to go, what to do. And fuck if I know all the time. But I think if I just stay the course, it'll be something really special. I'm sure it already is. You know, this this bladder of mine is a real bastard. I'm going to go run to the little boy's room for a second. Steve lets go of Tabby and heads towards a porta potty. Toby watches him go, but she's not stupid. Steve. Yeah? Are you sure you, you have to go to the bathroom? Are you sure you just don't want to Enjoy a day at the fair with your family. Well, gee, Tabby, it's just I really got to let the hog loose. Or else I'll be squirming the rest of the day. <laughs> you wouldn't want that, would you? No. I suppose I wouldn't. I, uh, I'll be back in a second. 
Interior to porta potty. Nine seconds later, Steve rails a line of coke. He leans back, waiting for it to hit him. Then suddenly grimaces in pain. He clutches both hands at the side of his head, struck by a violent migraine. He doubles over and stays up like that for a few moments before straightening up. Steve sits in front of the front seat of a roller coaster, hands still on his head. Joe and Naomi sit in the back. They wait for it to take off, and Joe leans forward. Hey, Dad. You got a chance to uh, read my story? From Steve's point of view, the sun in blinding, blistering, boring in him on, boring in on him. What? The roller coaster takes off, and moments later, the roller coaster whirls through the air and spins upside down. Steve looks wildly from side to side, clutching the sides of her ride in mortal terror. Joe sits in the back, dejected, <laughs> sullen-faced. Tabby holds Owen and watches, sad disapproval on her face, and then. Airport later that day, the King family walks through the kids up ahead, Steve and Tabby trailing behind. I'm not stupid. I know you're not. And I was worried to let you come out here, but you promised you'd keep things under control. I know, and I. She kisses him. It lasts a beat longer than it should. Then she takes his face in her, her hands and really looks into his eyes, a warning in the look. Just promise me you'll try. I don't want to keep. I don't want to have to keep having this conversation. Okay, Tabby walks I'll try. After the kids. Tabby walks after the kids towards their gate. Walking the other direction is Demi Moore, looking as gorgeous as the day young Ashton Kutcher jerked off to her while watching Striptease. Wow. Demi approaches <laughs> Amelia, also at the airport, who holds a sign reading Demi. Demi sees him and smiles. He smiles back. He throws his sign aside, throws, runs towards her. She leaps at him. He wraps his arms around her. He wraps her legs around his way. She kisses her. She kisses him back. They begin making out passionately right out there in the middle of the airport. He takes her shirt off. Her tits bounce in the cold airport. And her hard. He takes them in his hands and then in his mouth. She climbs off his and pushes him backward onto the luggage carousel. Now he's lying down. She pulls off his pants and then pulls off his underwear. And mm. his hard movie star cock sticks mm -hmm. up in the air. And she lifts it off. And then sticks it oh into my. her mouth and goes up and down on it. And then she off her pants <laughs> and panties on the page. while blowing him and then climbs onto him and takes his cock in her hand and puts it into her pussy and then rides him and then spins around and rides him backwards. So hot, neither of them can take it. They're both about to explode. And all the while, the TSA watches and they eventually start jerking off. One by one, they just take out their cocks and ask things. Title over black. The aristocrats. Dave looks groggily into the mirror. Jack stands over his shoulder, holding out a little baggie of coke. Looking pretty groggy there. Sure you don't, I don't know, want a little pick-me-up? Not today. I told Tabby I'd try, goddammit, and I intend to do that. <laughs> On the Dixie Boy parking lot set that morning, Emilio and Demi walk through the Dixie Boy parking lot, arms around each other. So, what scene do I get to watch you shoot? Something heroic? On her words, something dawns on Emilio and his face falls. Oh, no. Interior Dixie Boy back room minutes later, Emilio and Laura lie naked in bed in the back room of the truck stop, about to shoot a love scene. Demi stands behind the cameras, visibly enraged. With her are Armando and Steve, who is presently sober and looking a little worse for wear for it. As the crew preps, Laura leans in towards Emilio, who is clearly uncomfortable, and whispers. 
I know it's awkward that your girlfriend is watching, but we should just be focused on making this as hot as possible. You know, for the good of the movie. Well, fuck. I'm a professional. I'll give it my A game. <laughs> you know what I saw in a French film once that was really hot? Laura whispers something into Emilio's ear, and Emilio blanches. I don't know. Come on. Don't you want our movie to be authentic? To feel real? I guess so. Laura looks up at Debbie, makes eye contact, and winks at her. Did that go away? Is that back? Uh Uh, Action. Emilio and Laura begin to kiss furiously. After a minute, they separate. I'll tell you one thing. What's that? You sure make love like a hero. She laughs and caresses his chest. (laughs) They continue kissing, cuddling together. They turn and look out the window. Wow, look at that light. I think it's the comet. You know, we've been in its tail for almost 12 hours. And if it's that comet that's making everything go crazy, then all we got to do is stay alive for the next seven days. No problem. They resume making out. Emilio begins kissing her forehead. He hesitates and then literally licks the sweat off of it. A real thing that happens in the film Maximum Overdrive. (laughs) (laughs) Emilio leans into Steve. Why did you direct him to do that? I did. Pretty hot, though. Laura glances at Demi again and begins to moan furiously. Demi fumes. Laura and Emilio roll apart. Great work, everybody. Laura and Emilio roll apart. Laura touches Emilio's arm. That was fun, wasn't it? I just hope it was convincing. Emilio sees Demi storming towards the door. Oh, shit. Emilio leaps out of bed and runs after Demi. I'm sorry. Sorry, it was just acting. You know what it's like. Save it. Demi exits. Laura comes up behind Emilio and puts a hand on his lower back. What's she so mad about? Emilio ignores her and runs out of the room. On the exterior of the Dixie Boy parking lot during magic hour, the sun sets in the background. Actress Ellen McElduff, dressed in her waitress outfit, delivers a full-blown emotional monologue to the trucks in the parking lot. You can't... We made you! You hear? We made you! You can't! Where's your sense of loyalty? You cute thing! You son of a bitches! You dirty sons of bitches! We made you! Don't you understand? You can't do this! We made you! Multiple squibs go off at once as Ellen's front explodes with blood spray. She falls to the ground. We we made you. Cut. Great work, Ellen. Ellen gets to her feet and looks at her bloody costume. Well, gee, Steve, you got me looking like that Carrie girl. (laughs) Steve turns to address the crew, and when he speaks, it's with a little less confidence than his normal coked-up self. Uh, Everybody, quick reminder. Tonight, the Dixie Boy is not just a set. As a celebration of how well the shoot has been going, we are turning the Dixie Boy into a party. I hope to see you all there. At the Dixie Boy parking lot later that night, the Dixie Boy's parking lot is abandoned. On the interior of Dixie Boy, it's the same. On a ladder, Steve hangs a disco ball from the ceiling. It turns on and begins to spin, casting its rad disco light all over the interior of the Dixie Boy. Abandoned, save for the tables of food and drink. Steve looks around without music, without people, without drugs in his system. The dancing lights can't mask how hollow the emptiness of the desolate set. The front door of the truck stop creaks open and Armando enters. Upon seeing Steve, he pauses awkwardly. Oh, hey, Steve. 
Armando, hey, come on in. Am I early? No, no. Well, sort of. I said eight. Uh, anime I can pile in, so that means around about 825. Uh, but if you don't mind helping me set up. You don't have PAs to do the setting up? Oh, I do, but I want to give the little guys a break. Yeah, mix some punch. Uh, should be one pot punch, four pots vodka. <laughs> <laughs> he gestures to the table where the ingredients lie. Armando nods and begins mixing the punch. You want the cup. Steer it. Steve clearly does, but... Uh, no, that's all right. I'm actually trying to cut back. Listen, Steve. We've had some tough moments. Yeah, Armando, yeah, we have. When Steve hops down from the ladder and walks up to Armando. You think I'm a piece of shit? No. I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I just think you're reckless at times. Isn't that the fun of life, being reckless at times? Not if you put others' lives in danger. We're both sensible men. You can't be a writer and not believe in change. I'm trying to change. So I believe we can still be friends. Can't we just try and have some fun together tonight? Yes, Steve. We can try. The Dixie Boy has been transformed into a thriving party. The disco ball casts its light on dancing partiers. Steve stands alone against the wall. Steve's point of view, a party filtered through the lens of somebody with extreme social anxiety. Too much movement, too many people, all of it too overwhelming. If he was high, on the other hand, Emilio and Demi walk up to Steve, who has begun to sweat. Steve! I just want to thank you again for the role, man. This is my girlfriend, Demi. Demi Moore. Hi, uh, 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 uh-huh. Yeah, nice to meet you. He extends a shaky hand. Demi takes it awkwardly. All right, well, take care, man. Emilio claps him on the shoulder and walks off. In the Dixie Boy bathroom, minutes later, Steve washes his face. He looks up at the mirror and sees a woman in a baggy black dress standing over his shoulder. This is Margaret Wright, white in her 50s. The mother of the infamously terrible prom date, Carrie. Steve Drumps, startled. I told you, you'd be boring off drugs. Lots of people out that party, and they're not going to like you. Not a single one. They're all going to laugh at you. (laughs) A boy with no friends, and they called you Freaky Steve. Freaky Steve. Freak. Steve turns away from the mirror and leans against the wall. He reaches into his pocket and pulls out a small handful of assorted uppers. The pills rattle in his shaking hand. He raises them towards his mouth. In the Dixie Boy, minutes later, in the middle of the room, Steve shucks and jives with the shamelessness that only a middle-aged white guy can have. (laughs) Dino wanders up to Steve. Steve! Dino, glad you could make it. You really know how to throw a party. That's why they called me the cool, uh, Mr. My, Mr. Cool, Mr. Cool Normal Guy in high school. Sure. <laughs> Just don't let this thing go too late, all right? You've got to make your daily demo- your day tomorrow. I thought tomorrow was simple. Relatively, but even so. I'll be fine, Dino. Excited whoops ring out around Woo! them. Steve and Dino look up to see Angus Young, Brian Johnson, and the rest of ACDC walking through the door. Is that... AC motherfucking DC, baby. Angus. Hey, Angus. Steve, what's up? Did you boys fly here from Australia? Never miss a chance for pussy. Is there any pussy here? Where do you want us to set up? In the corner. Just smash that sound system out of the way. On it. 
Brian runs across the room and punches the sound system. Sparks fly. The music stops. People groan. ACDC quickly set up in the corner, and Brian takes the mic. Will you start with a little something we ripped out for this movie? <laughs> this one's for you, Steve. <laughs> Cheers all around. The band launches into a performance of Who Made Who, the hit single which was indeed written exclusively for Maximum Overdrive. The video games is me. Face it, on a level, but it takes you. Every time, one-on-one. Who made who? Who made you? Who made you? Ain't nobody told you. Dino and Yuri dance together in the crowd. Before long, ACDC is wrapping up the song. Who made who? Who made you? Yeah, nobody told you. Brian Johnson steps away from the microphone. I just scared my rabbit out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> in for a song. Dreams, dreams do come true, Stevie boy. Steve runs up to the microphone, all eyes in the room on him, and Steve turns to the band. Highway to hell. Hit it. The band begins to play. Steve sings terribly, but with tremendous gusto. <laughs> a living easy. Yacht living free. <laughs> ticket hole, one way wide. Asking nothing, huh? Leave me be. Taking something, something side. <laughs> In the crowd, Armando laughs, animosity forgotten. This party is alive. Meanwhile, in the back room at the same time, Demi and Emilio lay on the floor making out. She pulls away. He sighs, frustrated. I just, I, I can't stop thinking about you and Laura on that bed together. We were shooting a scene together, Dem. You know what it's like. You licked sweat off her forehead. She told me it would be... She said she saw it in a French film. Oh, shit. Do you think she was lying? <laughs> she winked at me when you were sex out. Has anything No, happened? I promise. No, no, I promise. I mean, she, she splurted a little, but... She what? The door I opens and Laura walks in. Oh, uh, sorry. Am I fucking up a moment? You mean the same way you fucked my boyfriend? Wow. Hold on, I didn't fuck Emilio. I, I asked, but he said no. That's true! She's telling the truth! Not sure <laughs> why, though. Not sure what he sees in you. Oh, you fucking... Hold on, hold on. What is this, Laura? You're, tr you're trying to break us up? I just think you're cute. Really? Or do you just think I'm famous? Laura has no she's, answer, and Emilio wraps his arms around Demi. She's my girlfriend. You're not. Come on, Demi. Emilio God, and Demi like... go back into the main room. Laura looks after them, pissed. At the interior of the Dixie Boy at the same time, people are drinking, dancing in the main floor of the Dixie Boy. Holter, the child actor, sneaks a cup of spike punch when nobody's looking. <laughs> and I'm going down right all the way. I'm on the highway to hell. The song raps to boisterous cheers. You got another one in yet? Only if we can make it a duet. Armando. Armando. 
Steve beckons to our beckons Armando to the stage. Armando looks around. Who me? You and me, friend. A new era. Uh, I, I only know back in black. Back, back in, black. in black it is. Hit it. The began begins to play. Back in black. I hit the sack. It's been too long. I'm glad to be back. Steve yes, I'm let loose from the fucking noose. It's kept me hanging about. Oh, yay. Steve and Armando sway arms around one another. Soon they're at the end of the song. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Well, I'm back. Bro, I'm back in black. I'm back in black. I'm back in black. The crowd erupts into cheers. Steve grabs Angus's guitar and begins to play for all he's worth, loving every moment. Every fucking moment. Cut to black. Steve's eyes open. He's hung over his fuck. We've been here before. Steve walks to the hotel parking lot, sunglasses on, beer in hand, hair of the dog. He stops next to a trash can, leans over and wretches into it. He then looks up and looks around, gray skies, wind, a palpable sense of dread in the air. Steve walks up to the crew on a suburban street during the day. They've got they've set up production in the driveway of a house located in a suburban neighborhood. They're clearly been waiting him a few minutes too long, but the goodwill from the party remains. Hey gang. Hey Steve. Hey, Steve. Hey, Steve. Dino, Dino walks up to Steve and takes him aside. Steve, you know what's happening in this scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lawnmower chases uh, Deke, tries to kill him, he bikes away from it, right? Essentially. And you feel not too directing. Excuse me? I just know it was a big night. Are you sure? Yes, I feel up to directing. Matter of fact, I feel like getting. I feel like the scene lacks bite. Get me my stunt coordinator over here and Armando. Dino calls him over. What is What's the issue, up? friend? What's up? I don't think the scene is working. I think it. I don't think it feels dangerous enough. What do you propose? I want to put real blades in the lawnmower. Hey, man. <laughs> But you know that nobody's actually... No one's going to see the blades. How do you mean? He means we only have to see the top of the lawnmower. I don't care. This is an authentic production, and all that has to be real. All of it, or our audience won't care. This is illogical. It only adds danger. Hey, Armando, I thought we were buddies now. Armando hesitates and then smiles. Yes, of course. I'll tell props to get on And faster, too. I was going to go on before. Didn't you learn your lesson last time from... Just do it, please. Sure, Steve. Everyone in their places, the prop master stands with the lawnmower. Remember, twice as fast. Prop master turns up the dial on the lawnmower and adjusts the rig that will hold down the acceleration to make it look as though the thing is moving on its own. Action. The prop master starts the lawnmower. It takes off on its own. The lawnmower rumbles quickly across the shooting space marked out in the driveway. Then, without warning, it veers off course and rumbles straight towards the crew. Everything happens quickly. The crew members dive out of the way. The lawnmower strikes a wooden beam that's being used as camera support. The real lawnmower blades tear into the wood. In slow motion, a single chip of wood is spat out. It flies through open air, soaring across the driveway, moving straight towards the unpredicted face of Armando Nanuzzi. His eyes go wide. The chip of wood pierces through Armando's left eyeball. End slow motion. Armando screams and falls to the ground, clutching his face. Blood and gore seep through his fingers. Crew members rush to Armando's side. Steve stands back, 
Ace Gaunt and Terror. Interior hospital, Armando's room later. Armando sleeps in a hospital, a bandage over one eye. Steve and Dino talk to the doctor. Fortunately, it looks like he'll keep the eye, but he'll Thank never you. play the banjo again. <laughs> Thank God. But it was close. Don't know how that's going to happen on a professional film set. The doctor walks off. Steve breathes a sigh of relief. Well, that's a load off my back. A load off your back? A load off your fucking back? You nearly blinded a man. I told you, Steve. I told you not to let the party run late, and now look at what you fucking done. It was an honest accident. Why the hell did the lawnmower need real blades? Armando knew this would happen, too. Jesus Christ. Jesus, in all my years. Dino paces down the hallway. He runs a hand through his hair. Dino. What? Um, I'm sorry. Just finish this fucking shoot so I can go to my wife and never think about this goddamn cursed movie ever again. He storms off. Steve looks at Armando asleep in his bed. Steve gets <coughs> into the room and approaches the bed. He looks down at the sleeping Armando. Armando, Armando, friend, I don't know if you can hear me, but... I can hear you fine, you oversized tub of shit. (laughs) (laughs) You blinded me. The doctor said your eye would be fine. You misunderstand. You blinded me with kindness. And with ACDC, I forgot you were a moron. That's the price I pay. Armando... Steve reaches out and touches Armando's shoulder. Armando stares coldly down at Steve's hand. Only a fool rebuilds a bridge more than once. It is too likely to fall again. Or in your case, to blow the fuck up. Armando, pal, I obviously didn't intend for this to happen. Can I make it right? Let me know how. The first step is realizing you're the one who is blind. Leave me to my pain. Steve takes a step back and looks at Armando a moment later. (coughs) Then he turns and leaves. Title over black. End of shooting. In the Dixie Boy parking lot at Magic Hour, as the sun sets pink and red, as crew members pack up the set, people say goodbye, hugs exchange this way and that. Emilio makes the rounds, hugs Yearly, Pat and Holter, and the other cast members. Laura watches him from a distance, still angry. Steve, too, watches all the goodbyes from afar. Bittersweet. Steve scans people's faces, makes eye contact with Armando Nanuzzi, gauze over one eye, standing off to the side of the lot, no expression in his stony face. Steve raises a hand to his forehead and tips him a salute. Armando just stares back, then turns and walks away. On the highway later, Steve's car zooms off down the highway. He passes a now-leaving North Carolina sign. In the King home, later that night in Bangor, Steve cruises into the King driveway at a steady 60 miles an hour. He rolls up the driveway at the same speed, nearing the house, then... Oh, fuck. Slams the brake. The car slows, slows, and comes to a stop almost in time. The nose of the car thunks into the garage door, creating a sizable dent. Steve opens the door of the car. Forty beer cans fall into the driveway. (laughs) Steve enters the dining room. Tabby, Joe, Naomi, and Owen eat dinner around the kitchen table. They look up as he enters. Steve! Tabby runs up, gets up, and hugs him. I didn't know you were coming home today. Oh, shit, I know I forgot to mention something. (laughs) Come on. Come here with the family. The family sits around a table enjoying a quiet meal. Steve looks across the table to Naomi and smiles. Rack focused to the wine bottle in the middle of the table. 
Steve and Tabby sit on the couch watching TV. The wine bottle is clutched between Steve's legs. Tabby cuddles closer to Steve. Steve kisses her on the cheek and puts an arm around her. Hey, Steve. Yeah, babe? I think we should take it easy for a while. Like for the rest of the night? No. No, I mean a few weeks. A month. The family, I think we should go on vacation. Spend some quality time together. That's not going to be possible. I have to fly to Los Angeles tomorrow to stop post and sit in on editing, and then the release date's going to be looming. Tabby moves away from Steve indignantly. How is all that possibly already happening? I ordered a rush on the prince. That's what all the experts say. Tabby, you got to jump in on this stuff while it's fresh in the mind or else it'll slip away from you. Slip the fuck away and you'll never get it back, and that's uh, I'm not going to let that happen. Plus, then the press tour is going to start. Why do you have to do press? You're not exactly Emilio Estevez. Plus, there's the new book I just started writing. When did you start writing a new book? At dinner, in my head. It's about this writer chick who was always getting a period, and then one day she wakes up in the woods and she finds a spaceship. I don't (laughs) fuck what your new book is about. Okay, you're mad. No, Steve. Not at all. Not at all. Have fun in Los Angeles. She gets up and storms out. He looks after her sadly. Women, right? Steve looks over and sees Jack sitting on the couch next to him. She's really upset. Eh, she'll get over it. Come on, let's do some blow. Right about that chick who's on her period. <laughs> I think they I'm want to call it the Tommy Knockers. <laughs> sure you are, buddy. Sure. Los Angeles, a sweepingly cliched established shots of Los Angeles. In a studio editing bay, Steve sits on a couch in an editing bay watching the final few frames of Maximum Overdrive. The movie ends. The editor stops to projection. Well? well. <laughs> Perfect. No notes. That was an assembly cut. There was no music, and it was three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, in that case... Run it again. The editor sighs and starts it again. Begin montage. Shots from around Los Angeles. In a shiny red convertible, Steve cruises down to PCU. The ocean bright and beautiful beside him. In the editing bay, Steve watches footage of the kid getting smashed by the street cleaner and laughs maniacally. In a movie theater, Steve watches Rocky IV. On screen, Apollo Creed dies. In the audience, Steve wipes away a tear. On the beach, Steve walks around the coast. He breaks into a jog and goes ten feet and has to stop to catch his breath. In the concert hall... Steve is on stage singing with, inexplicably, the band Bowling for Soup. A massive crowd cheers to them. Steve is in front and center on stage, flanked by the band members Jared Reddick and Chris Burney. Steve leans into the microphone. Springsteen, Madonna, way before Nirvana, there was U2 and Blondie, and music still on fucking MTV. PCU, Steve continues cruising down to PCU. Music fades out and the montage ends. As before, the final for frames of Maximum Overdrive play. Okay, now what do you think? Now it's perfect. Actual footage from the ending of Maximum Overdrive, courtesy of the DeLorentis Entertainment Group, hopefully, fills the screen. The image cuts to credits, and we pull back to reveal the interior of a screening room. Three executives sitting in fancy seats and smoking cigars turn away from the screen and look at one another. Executive one takes a long puff on a cigar and inhales for like 20 seconds. He exhales a long, long stream of smoke. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not so bad. It's not so good. We've seen worse. 
Where was I for the worst screening? Jerking off in your office? Fuck off, Billy. That was one time. <laughs> Gentlemen, we can settle this later. Right now, we've got a bigger issue. Figuring out how the fuck we're going to sell this. Can we just say starring trucks and the guy from Breakfast Club? No. I've got it. People aren't going to like this movie. But you know what people do like? The trucks? Stephen King. People like Stephen King. How do you think we got here in the first place? They like his books. They see his name in the trailer. What are you suggesting? Put his name in the trailer. Have him pitch the movie directly to the audience. Imagine it. Maximum terror. Maximum King. They like him. They come. He's not an actor, and he's weird as fuck. Do you have any better ideas? Interior soundstage. Day. A commercial director in his 20s stands behind a camera. People mill back and forth in the background and foreground. The camera points directly at the green screen. Ready, rolling, and wait. Where the fuck is King? He looks up from the camera. The venerable Stephen King is nowhere to be seen. Stephen looks into the bathroom mirror, and in one hand he holds a swath of script pages. I thought, why not do it myself? Ah, fuck, fuck, what's next? He looks down at the pages in his hands and slaps himself across the face and barrels the mirror. Get it together, get the fuck together. Suddenly, the man in black steps into view in the mirror behind Steve. He doesn't say anything, just stares at him. Steve closes his eyes and takes a deep breath, sticks a hand into his pocket and freezes. He pulls out a small vial of cocaine from his pocket. He just looks at it for a long while, a long, long while. Seconds later, a line of coke disappears into King's nose. On the soundstage, minutes later, the commercial director looks through his camera. And action! Across the soundstage, Steve stands in front of a giant image of the Green Goblin truck. Steve walks towards the camera. This is a real commercial. Find it on YouTube. <laughs> Hi. My name's Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I directed. We push into an extreme close-up on Steve's face. I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. Behind Steve's cross eyes, the eyes of the truck begin to glow bright. <laughs> it was my first picture as director, and you know something? I sort of enjoyed it. He flashes a wild cross-eyed chipmunk grin and points aggressively into camera. I'm going to scare the hell out of you, and that's a promise. Cut! Assistant commercial director runs up to commercial director. I think we got it. We only did one take. We'll split it up with a bunch of shots of explosions and Mr. Breakfast Club and call it good <laughs> They look up. Steve has already departed. Yeah, he left already. And the king home in the living room. The front door of the king home swings open and Steve steps through. Wonderful family. I am home. We're here. Steve looks in the direction of her voice. The living room. Something feels off. Cautiously, Steve walks towards the living room. Is everything all right? Everything's fine. Steve steps into the room and sees his greatest fear. Fifteen people sitting in a circle amongst them. Tabby, Naomi, Joe, Owen in a high chair, Dino, Dan, and Susie. Other people who will assume to be his relatives, family, friends. <laughs> this is an intervention. Interventioning is happening. 
What is this? Don't you remember from five years ago? Or were you too high then, too? An intervention? You're giving me an intervention? This is bullshit. I don't have to listen to this. Steve turns and makes to walk out the door. Wait! Steve freezes. God damn it, Steve. You will not walk out that door. I don't care if you quit. I don't even care if you turn around and call me a bitch. I just care that for two seconds you turn around and fucking listen to me. Give me the time of day for once. For me and the kids leave. Steve turns around slowly. Okay. Okay, you want me to listen? I'll listen. Tabby rises from the couch. Leans up, picks up a large garbage bag, and turns it upside down. The remnants of all the drugs known to man tumble out. Beer cans, Ramsico, Xanax, NyQuil, Valium, Malort, empty cough medicine bottles, <laughs> more beer cans. They pour out endlessly for seconds upon seconds, and more seconds upon seconds, and still they keep pouring out onto the ground until the entire floor is covered in a sea of the remnants of his sad and self-destruction. You were home for three days in the last month. This was from three days. Do you see? Do you see now? Steve just stares at her, steely-eyed angry. Tabby gives it right back. This is it. The part where you hear about everyone you've hurt. Let's go. You blinded the man. He smirched my name. Dr. Fernando would probably be fine. They said that, but he won't. They only thought that at first, but it's gotten worse. Armando has lost all vision in his left eye, and he's suing us for $18 million. Oh, who else? Who else has Steve hurt here? She looks around. Naomi raises her hand timidly. You? You have something to say, Naomi, after all the allowances I gave you? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) There was a father-daughter at my school dad. You said you would come, but you didn't. I saw the auditorium, but you never showed up. And do you know what you were doing when I came home? You were passed out in a bathtub full of beer. You killed, you filled a bathtub with beer and got into it. And then in the morning, I asked <laughs> what you were doing. You said beer city. And <laughs> okay. Anyone else want to speak up? <laughs> I relocated my office here for you, and now you're at risk of destroying both our careers. Joe raises his hand. You too? You were supposed to take me to see Jaws 3D, but you're too fucked up to drive. I had to run to the theater, and by the time I got there, they're out of 3D glasses. Who the fuck wants to see a shark in 2D? Terrible. Joe rises to his feet. More than that, you didn't read my short story. I want to be you, don't you get that? You didn't even read my damn story. Joe, what story? Exactly. Joe sits and Tabby rises. You missed our anniversary. For the first time in 15 years. You just forgot. Steve scans the rest of the faces. He looks at Owen, the tiny infant sitting in his high chair. Owen looks straight into Steve's eyes. You've been quite a disappointment to me, Father. <laughs> okay, uh, I might still be a little high. Abby rises to her feet. She and Steve stand face to face. That's the problem. Don't you see that that's the problem? You're always high. 
Yeah, okay, maybe I am. But Christ, Tabby, what do you want me to do? Stop? Yes! <laughs> Fuck sakes, yes, of course that's what I want. I can't. Why not? Why can't you try for us? Steve hesitates. Looks like he's really considering it. He glances over Tabby's shoulder. The man in black stands coolly against the wall, arms crossed, looking at Steve. All around, the sound in the room fades away. Don't listen to him. They're all wrong. And Steve looks back at Tabby, exasperated, like it's the most obvious thing in the world. And when he talks, spittle flies out of his mouth. Because I don't stop. I never stop. Don't you get that? We lived in a trailer ten years ago, a fucking trailer. Did you forget? My mom died, and all I've done is work. I work to get us a house, and to get my book published, and to get another book published, and another book, and another book, and I work to fuck a baby into you, and another, and another, and I work to keep us moving <laughs> up and up, and we're still fucking moving up. We're still fucking moving up, and it's all because I don't say stop. If I stop, what happens then? We go back, back like the nothing we were before, back in a fucking trailer? That's not us. That's not me. I'm not going to be alone again. Living is, is going, and if I stop, if I stop, I die. Boom. A dead silence falls on the room. Tabby just stares at him, and he stares back at her. His gaze shifts off her. He looks around the room. His eyes land on Joe, on Naomi, on Owen, on Dan, Susie, and Dino, the others, then back on Tabby. Jesus Christ, Steve. What the fuck are you talking about? If you stop, we're here. If you stop, we're all still here like we were okay. before. Don't you see that? Steve takes another look at all of his loved ones. I have to go. I have a movie to promote. Steve. He walks towards the door as he goes through it. Steve. Steve turns back. A trickle of blood runs from his nose. <laughs> Your nose is bleeding. He wipes away the blood, inadvertently smearing it across his face. A pathetic sight. And don't come back. Steve pauses in the doorway and then leaves and slams the door. In a hotel room later that night, Steve lays on a bed, glass of scotch in his hand. Ah, the loneliness of hotel rooms. Steve flips through TV channels and lands briefly on Sissy Spacek getting covered in pig's blood. A faint, sad smile crosses Steve's face. In a television store early the next morning, Steve and a cheery morning show host in his 50s all smiles, sit on chairs opposite one another in a small studio. On screen, morning show, morning show graphics tell us that he is in a Canadian breakfast interview. This is a real interview. Find it on YouTube. Morning show. <laughs> Who's the morning show host? I'll take it. You got it. Hey, uh, you must have looked like uh, 25 books, million dollars on these books, eh? <laughs> Not that much yet. <laughs> uh, but I guess it could get there. Uh, gross, huge amounts of money, yeah. Hey, uh, but you uh, don't have any desires, eh, to elaborate further than the movies you throw and the written word, eh? Do you, eh? Oh, no. Uh, no, I don't even think I want to make another movie. It's a primitive way to create. You know what I'd really like to have? Eh? What, eh? A pair of lizard skin boots. Steve grins. His tongue flicks out of his mouth and he licks his lips. Steve exits the studio. Fake smile still plastered on his face as soon as he steps outside. The smile fades. And a Los Angeles night, a flashing marquee, the premiere of Maximum Overdrive. Red carpet in full swing, a limo pulls up, Steve gets out. He walks down the carpet, cameras flash as he enters the theater. Steve sits next to Demi in the front row of the theater. On screen, the kid gets run over by the street cleaner, and Steve grins. He leans over to Demi, looking to say something. But she's leaning to the other side, whispering to Emilio. Steve's fate smile fails. He slumps back in his seat. 
A few rows back, Dino watches the movie unfold. He glowers, arms crossed, not happy. People stream out of the theater, among them Demi and Emilio. I'm going to find the bathroom. Demi walks off, leaving Emilio alone. After a moment, Laura walks up. She nods towards Steve, standing across the carpet and talks to reporters. You hear about Armando? How he's going to lose the eye? You're right. Steve is really out of control. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Hey, uh, sorry if things got a little weird there for a minute. Uh, don't worry about it. I didn't mean anything by it. Just wanted to have some fun. She reaches out and clasps his shoulders. Her hand lingers. It's there a little too long, and Emilio laughs and shakes his <laughs> head. Jesus, you're still at it. You know, you and Steve. What? <laughs> what, you think we're the same or some shit? He thinks he's doing what he has to do to stay on top. You think you can fuck your way to the top. <laughs> and what do you think? You're both crazy. Love's what matters. I'm going to propose to Demi. Shit. Really? What can I say? She's the one. Take it easy, Laura. Amelia walks off towards Demi. Laura watches him go. She lights a lonely cigarette and begins to smoke. Emilio reaches Demi, puts out an arm around her, and kisses her. She smiles. What's up? Nothing. Just they, sh- they share a quick kiss and walk off. Across the red carpet, people continue to stream out of the theater. Steve walks up to Dino. Friend, it wasn't the easiest path what we pushed on through, and at the end of the day, I think it came out pretty well. Just wanted to thank you for believing in me. Dino glares at Steve for a full five seconds. What? You think the movie came out good, do you? Huh? You think people liked it? People were laughing at us, you buffoon of a man. I know I said we'd make money even if it was shit, but Christ, what shit it is. (laughs) Dino, I... You really don't think people liked it? Because I think it's a fun ride. The music's great. It's... Where's your wife, Steve? Where's your family? Why aren't they here? Answer me that question. Then I'll listen to your opinions. Until then, (laughs) good day, Steve. He marches off. Reporters begin snapping pictures, flashbulbs illuminating Steve's forlorn look. Two entertainment reporters, Janet and Chet, look to the camera. The toddler has been successfully apprehended. In other news, popular author Stephen King may be the master of terror, but the scariest thing this weekend was the box office for his new film. That's right! Maximum Overdrive, the new comet killer truck Emilio Estevez film, open to a mere $3 million, and it's unlikely to recoup its production budget. Speaking about the film, Leonard Maltin told me the movie, quote, raped him in his eye holes, unquote. That's right, Janet, but that was supposed to be off the record. Pull back the reveal in a bar later that night. This news reporter plays on TV in a dingy bar. Steve sits alone at the bar watching the news with visible despair. The bartender sets a pint glass in front of Steve and begins to pour tequila in it. He fills it all the way up. As requested, 15 fingers of vodka. (laughs) The bartender walks away. Steve picks up the pint glass and looks at it sadly. Then he begins to chug. He keeps chugging, and soon it's all gone. Steve stays seated at the bar for about ten seconds, then jumps to his feet and sprints to the back door. Steve stumbles through the back door into an empty lot behind the bar. He leans towards the wall and vomits. Panting, he stays bent over, hands on his knees. Not feeling too hot, champ. Steve stands slowly and turns around. Jack Torrance and all his grinning lunatics third act of The Shining Glory stands before him. 
What the fuck are you doing here? Jack grins a terrible grin, reaches behind him and pulls out a beer. He holds it out to Steve. Thought you could use a beer, Ace. Cautiously, Steve takes the beer. Is this one real? Come on now, Steve. Is any of this real? Steve looks at the beer, cold vapor misting ap- appetizingly through the already open mouth of the bottle. He lifts it to his lips and stops. What's the matter? I don't know if I want it anymore. What do you mean? I don't want it anymore. I want to go home. I want to roll over in the middle of the night, put my arm around my wife, and have breakfast with my family. That's all I should have fucking ever wanted. Well, that's fine. Let's not do anything rash. I don't want it. Steve smashes the bottle on the wall behind him. Beer explodes onto the wall. He holds the broken mouth and a bottle in hand. With his other hand, he reaches into his coat. He pulls out a flask and throws it to the ground. And I don't want that. He pulls several joints out of his coat and throws them to the ground. And I don't want those. He pulls out a bottle of pills and throws it to the ground. And I don't want those either. Why not? Steve whirls around and sees a girl in a blood-soaked prom dress walking towards him. Carrie, 17, of course. Why not? Are they bad? Are they bad like Mama? Are they bad like my pillow? <laughs> she has a point there, Steve. What's so bad about all of it? After all, pal, you created us with this shit. Do you regret creating us? Of course not. I love all of you. But you want us to disappear? Forever? No, but there's such a thing as overindulgence. What a crazy thing to say. He pulls out another beer and holds it to Steve. Freaky the beer, Stevie. Freaky Stevie. No, no. Well then, I guess I don't have any other choice. Jack reaches behind him and produces a massive rope mallet, the weapon he uses in the book The Shining, not that piece of shit by Kubrick. <laughs> Here's Johnny. Is that lines from the movie, you son of a bitch? A garish slit appears in Jack's neck as blood squirts all over his face. Jack grabs at his throat and collapses dead to the ground. Steve breathes heavy in disbelief. Suddenly his breath catches into his throat. His eyes bulge. He starts to turn blue. Steve turns and sees Carrie staring at him, one hand raised. She's using her telekinetic powers. Steve reaches into his waistband, pulls out a gun, and shoots Carrie in the forehead. Her blood exits her head in a thick, ropey splatter. That's why I killed you the first time, you cunt. Hey now, where do you get a gun? Steve turns to Annie Wilkes coming towards him, an axe in her hand. You didn't have a gun before. That's cheating. You got that gun from a cockadoodie nowhere, you? You got a thing for writers? Get a load of me. Shoots, but the gun clicks empty. Annie laughs and swings her axe. (laughs) Paddock, Steve brings his hand up and grabs the handle, stopping its descent. Steve wrestles the axe from her hand, swings and buries the axe in her neck. Blood sprays everywhere. Steve is coated, head to toe. Annie falls dead. Her body landing on top of Carrie's body. I don't know where Steve's shirt catches fire. He screams, rips his flaming shirt off, revealing an unappealing rug of chest hair. That's, that's, that's body shaming. And turns to see Charlie McGee, the little girl from Firestarter, pointing at him. Why, you think I've never written a child's death before? Steve runs at Charlie, jumps and kicks her straight in the face. She falls to the ground. A car revs off screen and Steve turns to see a driverless white and red 1958 Plymouth. <laughs> Rolling towards him. Christine! 
Christine accelerates. Steve turns and runs away across the parking lot. He reaches the edge of the parking lot and disappears into a tall thicket of reeds. Steve runs through the thick reeds, batting them out of his way. Behind him, Christine plows into the reeds, her headlights illuminating the night as she searches for Steve. Steve comes up against the edge of a creek, not very wide, but too wide to jump across. Christine bursts out of the reeds and speeds towards Steve. Steve jumps out of the way, and Christine smashes nose first into the creek. Her engine sputters and shuts off. Steve stumbles away from the car. Loud, frantic barking sounds nearby. Steve rolls around to see a massive St. Bernard barreling towards him. Fucking Cujo. Cujo, wait. Uh, good dog. Fuck. Steve turns around. Steve barrels to the reeds, running <laughs> along the edge of the creek, looking over the jeweler as Cujo gains on him. The chase continues frantic. Cujo is 15 feet behind. 10 feet. 5. It's hopeless. Steve digs into his pants pocket and pulls out a massive bowie knife and whirls around. Cujo leaps, swing, Steve swings the knife and buries it into Cujo's chest. Cujo's weight plows into Steve. The two of them fall back and splash into the shallow creek. Cujo pants heavily and then dies on top of Steve. Steve tries to shove him off. He can't do it. Too weak. Splish, splish, splash. Footsteps coming towards him. Steve looks up to see the man in black pacing towards him. He comes to a stop, standing over Steve, leering down. All right. You got me. You gonna kill me? Nah, you got more living to do. But remember, I always come back. He taps his head, then turns and walks away. Steve slumps back his body in the water, his head resting on the opposite bank, and falls asleep. Steve, still asleep, moans and rolls from side to side. His eyes twitch. Suddenly he jolts awake and sees his shirtless torso and submerged in the creek. Shockingly, there are no Plymouth Furies or St. Bernards anywhere to be seen. Steve looks at his hand and sees a mostly empty bottle of scotch. One swallow left. He lifts the bottle to his mouth and then drops it in the creek instead. And he watches floats. They all float down here. Away from the creek. (laughs) (laughs) Steve walks towards his car. He picks up his discarded shirt off the ground and wrings water out of it. Back in Bangor, Maine, Steve cruises through Maine. Looking around, he passes liquor shops to high school, Dan's office, other familiar sights. A sad smile on his face. Steve parks. He takes a deep breath, exits his car, and walks up to the front door. Tabby sits at the kitchen table, reading a newspaper when she hears a knock at the door. She gets up and opens the door and sees Steve standing there. Tabby sighs and swings the door shut. Steve reaches out a hand to stop it. No, wait. Tabby reopens the door. What? He hesitates. He doesn't know what to say. Hasn't thought this far ahead. My movie tanked. I know. I saw it. What'd you think? It was a piece of shit. Really? No. I enjoyed it. I like the part where the kid got run over by the steamroller. It was actually an industrial street cleaner, but that's besides the point. I tried, Tabby. I really tried to make it great. You think you might know where you went wrong? Yeah. Yeah, I think I do. Tabby looks at his dripping clothes. You're soaking wet. Yeah. I spent the night in a creek with a bottle of scotch in my hand. <sighs> but I'm done. She reopens the door. Wes. I'm, I'm done. Tabby, I'm done. I want to come home. You've only been sober for, what, six hours? Yeah. That's hardly a solid sobriety. I know, but I'm done. I stabbed Cujo. <laughs> <laughs> Do I even want to know what that means? I doubt it. Tabby looks past his large glasses to his eyes. You're done. I'm done. 
You're done. I'm done. And if we're going to fix all of it, we're going to fix all of it, you and me. We'll deal with the lawsuit. We'll get this marriage back on its fucking feet, Tabby. It's not over. I'm done with the drugs, but I'm not done with you. Well, I guess you better come in. She opens the door wider and Steve comes in. Tabby stands in the middle of the office with a trash bag. Steve opens the desk door, pulls out a bottle of bourbon, drops it in the trash bag. Steve reaches under the desk, pulls out one of those dispensary canisters of weed that had been Velcroed to the underside of his desk and drops it in the trash. In the family room later, Joe sits on the couch and Steve enters. What's on TV? Jaws 2. I guess you can watch with me if you want. I'd love to, buddy. But I'm already actually busy with a project. Of course you are. Steve pulls out a manuscript of Joe's short story. The pages are covered in notes. It's this short story of yours. I was looking through it, and I thought you might want some, I don't know, friendly feedback. Joe tries to suppress a smile and can't quite do it. He wordlessly slides over the couch, and Steve sits beside him. They turn to the first page of the story. In Steve's office later, Steve enters and shuts the door. It's quiet, being alone. Steve walks to the desk and sits down in front of the typewriter. He opens a drawer, looks inside. One page in a manuscript is on top. A page from The Shining, the name Jack Torrance, stands out to him. Steve looks around the room. No Jack around. Steve smiles. He slots a piece of paper into the typewriter and begins to type. The words come slowly at first, then faster and faster. Insert the first page, It, by Stephen King. Insert the next page. Chapter 1, After the Flood. 1, the terror that would not end for another 28 years, if it ever did end, began, so far as I know or can tell, with a boat made from a sheet of newspaper floating down a gutter swollen with rain. Steve types with renewed vigor. As he types, a tear forms in his a tear forms in his eye and rolls down his cheek. He wipes it away and continues typing. Banger Public Library later that afternoon, Steve stands in front of a small podium. A small crowd of eager fans sits in the folding chairs. Steve's family front and center. Several manuscript pages are spread out in front of Steve. He reads aloud from them. They float, it growled. They float, Georgie, and when you're down here with me, you'll float too. George's shoulder socked against the cement of the curb, and Dave Gardner, who had stayed home from his job at the shoeboat that day because of the flood, saw only a small boy in a yellow rain slicker. A small boy who was screaming and rising in the gutter with his muddy water surface and all over his face and making his scream sound bubbly. Tabby smiles up at Steve from the front row. Steve and Tabby walk to their car parked behind the library. Well, I think well, that... Well, I think that went really well. I think so, too. I think they're really going to like it. Hey, Tabby? Yeah? You mind waiting here for a second? I'd like a second to myself. She Not myself and drugs, just myself. I'm sorry. I, I guess we're still getting the trust back. Go on, honey. She walks to the driver's seat of the car. You're taking the car? Yes, my love, but I shall return for you. He blows her a kiss. The sun is beginning to set on the horizon. The sky is just starting to look ridiculously beautiful. Or it would be if not for some clouds in the sky. An access ladder extends from the side of the library. Steve's car zooms into frame and parks below the ladder. Steve gets out, clambers onto the roof of his car, grabs onto the ladder, and begins to climb. Steve walks out to the edge of the roof of the library and looks out at the sunset. It's a pretty decent sunset. But there are some clouds blocking the spots that should be really awesome. This sunset, it shines a glow over the miles and miles of Bangor, Maine. It's beautiful. But as beautiful as it should be, hard to say. Hard to know if there's uncertainty in the heart of the person looking. Stephen King looks out at this half-spectacular, half-shitty sunset for a long, 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 long time. 
Cut to black. The end. Yeah. Yeah. So oh do you think goodness. the scotch you passed on the creek with was Jack Daniels? I, I guarantee it was fucking Jack Daniels. Good shit. Oh, my favorite scotch, Jack Daniels. Premium. <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, it's like that my favorite one. bourbon, oh. Johnny Red. <laughs> All right, listeners, for those of you that made it this far, we hope you enjoyed our table reading of Maximum King. We will be back next week, kicking off a new franchise with Creepshow, and we should have part two of our mailbag as well for you guys next week. Um, if you like what you hear, go ahead and follow us over on Twitter at Pod and Pendulum. Leave us a review wherever you get your podcast: iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Podbean, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a quick review. Follow us. It helps us find new listeners. It helps people find the show. We appreciate you guys making it this far. Everybody, have a great week. Mr. King? <laughs> Uh-oh. Yo, Steve, where you at? What happened to that? Do, do, do. Oh, there he is. I, I should... There you go. Okay. I can't hear anybody anymore. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like maximum overdrive. Yeah. <laughs> Did they, though? <laughs> <laughs> Is that there? Uh-oh. I see him, but I don't hear him. Do, do, do. You'll give it a minute. How is everyone holding up right now? Mike, how are you doing? Because you are doing the bulk of the work here. Oh, you this all is right? great, Mike. This is great. I, 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 I don't mind this. I like this. Do, it's, kind of, it's kind of dull being the, uh, being the narrator. I mean, no, you you're reading the best shit. What are you, you talking about? I, but I, don't, don't I have to throw in shitty Simpsons <laughs> lines. You're out there like like slamming it. Also, Izzy, <laughs> FYI, you need to read me a bedtime story because, girl, that voice, mm, it's good. I'm available. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do we, Mike, do you need to cut the little bits in between so you don't lose your voice or are you good? Oh, I'm, I'm a-okay. Okay. Not a problem. Speaking I am, of uh, speaking am, of Stephen King, uh, mm-hmm. speaking of Stephen King, he just tweeted that the singer of Fountains of Wayne died from coronavirus. I I did. Did. Yeah, yeah, so, did. Right before we started. Yeah, it's real fucked. Oh, that is. So, but I do highly Jeez. recommend. I do recommend everybody check out the uh, the Tinted Windows album he did with James Eha and mm-hmm. uh, Taylor Hansen yes. and Bunny Carlos. They yes. only did one record, and it's awesome. Okay. Yeah. I will and I'm going to do a more. Of course you are. I, of course I am. I have drunk Wake Jameson right now. And I'm, I'm drinking lots of scotch myself. 
I'm yeah. a beer three, guys. What's up? Nine percent yeah. beers. We're having Can a good I, time. I, I'm I, I just got I just gotta say how annoyed I was that they called Jack Daniel Scotch. Yeah, I, I was gonna comment on that too, Johnny, but uh Like who who read this? Like this is uh That's bourbon. Yeah, it's yeah. bourbon. It's, it's not bourbon. It's, it's bourbon. Wow. Oh man. Right. Is Nat still here Matt. or did we lose him? Maybe he has everyone. I on can mute? I can see him, but I, I can can't see him. Somebody send him a message? Yes. I will right now. Also, Nat's doing an amazing job with that main Nat accent. Also, who's doing Armando right now? Who is doing Armando? I am. Who's I? Hey, what's Johnny. up? Who's I? That is so good. That Italian accent is so good. It's like, oomph. And then, like, in comes, like, Nat with his, like, disgusting main <laughs> accent. And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Very good. Very good. I've been practicing it all afternoon when oh I first read this work. <laughs> You nailed it. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, Johnny, you really nailed the Italian accent with Armando. Uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> uh, looking ahead, is there anything else that we have uh, that we want to do? Because I would about this is this is I like this. I wouldn't mind doing this again in a week or two. Yeah. Same. Yeah, this is so I... fun. Keep us entertained, um, Mike. Who gave us the um, script for the Mountains of Madness, the Del Toro? Oh. Okay. I have that. I have that, and I also have Del Toro's take on Count of Monte Cristo. Okay. Oh. And somewhere, I somewhere I have, uh, yeah, somewhere I have uh, the script for Carpenter's abandoned creature from the Black Lagoon as well. Oh, okay. Very sure. dig them up. Today. We got a month if, of shit to do. Yeah. yeah you can, if you can scan that and do it and get it to us, I would do that. In a Same. Same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in the Black Lagoon is my favorite off of that list. You can tell get Carpenter it was set for Russell. All right, I'm going to take this moment to take a pee break while we're <laughs> okay, looking for now. Okay, pee break. All right. no By the way, guys, uh, a week from tonight, I'm actually doing a Scripps Gone Wild uh, virtually with like Ryan Lambert from the Monster Squad and um, a couple other really cool people, and we'll, we're doing uh, Jason Jason lives. So oh, oh yeah, yeah. I love that. it's oh, gonna be hilarious. Fun. And if you've ever seen a Scripps Gone Wild in person, we all drink copiously during mm -hmm. uh when everyone when anyone fucks up or if there's a certain word that's said during the script and we all get really really trashed i've done it three times it's mm -hmm. amazing and they started doing them uh virtually starting wednesday like right now they're doing Sorry. one so yeah amazing. oh cool cool yeah, so what do we, what do we do if nat isn't around because he's even king that's yeah. Right. Yeah, we'll get Nat back. Hang on. Let's we'll see what we can do. We'll Who's tweeting at him? Is it like has anyone been able to reach him? I don't know. Is there a way? Let me look at who's. Let me just do a quick search here. Now. All right. I'm gonna run to the bathroom so, too. I'll be right back. Uh, yeah, I'll be right back too. All right. I don't know if Mike can see me, but I got my Malort too, Mike. What's <laughs> fucking Malort? Someone got... sent me Malort as a joke, and I didn't know that. funny about it. And I, I drank it. <laughs> Like that's that's a fucking hate crime. Malor is a hate crime. No, like, no, no. Wrong. Malor, hate crime. Here's the thing. It, it was my it was one of my good friends Dan who pointed out what he likes about Malor. Do you remember when you were uh, 
you were like first starting drinking, either be at 19, 21, or 15, depending on where you grew up. And every liquor kind of tasted bad. Like, you hadn't developed the taste for scotch or whiskey or vodka yet. Everything just kind of tasted bad. Malort takes you back to that. (laughs) (laughs) Malort's when you want them to smell it on your breath. Like, Malort is, like, the the, the alcohol that you do not hide. (laughs) And it's only, see, what a lot of people, I mean, I think what people miss about it is, it is like that video of the guy getting so drunk on it. Like, it's only 70 proof. You have to work real hard to get drunk on this, which is why bartenders like it, because you can do it all night and still count the money at the end of the shift. Yeah. <laughs> Are you back, Nat? Can you I hear me? We can hear yes. you. Okay. Yes. yes. Oh, Izzy. Or who is that? Grace? Don't drink Malort. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're getting straight out of the it. bottle right now. Are you drinking I, summer, Johnny? <laughs> Hell yeah. I feel like... <laughs> oh, I pulled my bottle out. I, I, I feel I, like I, it's I'm a cry for I'm away from help. my computer. Ah. Oh, yep. I love this so much. I have like one good idea here, and this was it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, shall we get back into it? Is everybody ready to? Oh no, we're waiting. On yeah, you. I think uh, Johnny, you're back, right? I'm back. Yeah, you can hear me. Do we need a roll call? Who's missing? Nat, you I here? Yeah. Jesse is the only yes. person. Okay. I think he's in the restroom. I okay. think. Yeah. yeah. We'll give it a minute because she's in this scene. So <laughs> Nat, Nat, you're doing a great job. That Nat, that mean accent amazing. is is mwah, perfect. You're all yeah, doing it's wonderfully. My grandmother. This Did is. Did you say it's your grandmother's accent? Is she from Maine? Yep. yep. Oh, that's awesome. You can't see what I'm doing right now, but I'm color cording my gummy bears. Grace, <laughs> that's adorable. Uh, <laughs> wonderful. So you guys are just good at acting. Like I'm really good at playing just a complete wuss. You know, I've Dude, been you practicing for. Better... I feel like I'm talking to Emilio Estevez right now. Like it's, you are a better it's Emilio so Estevez than Emilio Estevez right now. Right? <laughs> uh. I'm glad you're recording all this stuff too, Mike. Like I, the behind the scenes. Put this yeah. all in at the end of it. Put this all Please. in. The end. Oh, if you think I'm doing a second of editing to this shit show, <laughs> you're out of your fucking mind. No, no, this has to be the Patreon exclusive. Yeah, yeah this is the, the end tag. Just yeah. Yeah. Make money on us, Mike. I think you guys have heard our podcast. There's very little editing that goes on in that shit. Uh, Mike, uh, that's you do a really good job. I've been, I've been on that podcast, and you do a very good job of editing. Well, we need to get you and Brian back in now that we're done Critters. We need yeah, to get we'll you cycle guys. that through. Uh, yeah. Hey, whatever, so, happened to, whatever happened to Baron Corbin coming on? He never. He just stopped answering after he said he would come on. Yeah, he, he wanted to come, and we've talked to him so many times, and out of nowhere, nothing. Yeah. Oh, if you guys ever do In the Mouth of Madness, I definitely want to be on. Okay. Yeah. All right. Is Izzy back? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So let's, let's do it. Let's All take right. it from I'm Not Stupid on page 65. Halfway down, it says, I, Izzy, or Tabby says, I'm Not Stupid. Okay. Steve stops and looks at her. <laughs> 